why like I kind of brought that up in the questionnaire or whatever is because like, I don't know, like we're friends and um, like you and I, I mean, we went to school together or whatever. And uh, you know, I'm not talking to mm. a curator. I'm not talking to somebody directly about my work. Like it's more so like about like me and my experience and how like the work is cultivated out of that, you know? So, so that's, you know, like I, have no problem like talking a little bit about you know that experience a little bit and getting more personal than like I normally I normally would or would need to um because I think honestly like it's like I think about that and I think a driving force of my work and my practice and a lot of people's is their personal experience you know absolutely um and you know it's also as like I'm getting older I'm I'm understanding the need to be um vulnerable as far as you know being a creative or just you know like you're saying being more open with friends and having that conversation that provides more understanding as as who you are as an individual but also more understanding to the work um because that's something i've kind of you know i met you as an individual and then photography was always there that those went hand in hand and i've always appreciated both but now getting to the stage where now it provides a much deeper understanding. For example, when I look at your pieces, a lot of them have some sort of religion symbol or something in there. And that is something that I see in most of your pieces that kind of sets you apart from a lot of photographies that I see out and I'm like, okay, that's that's Parker. Or I see a work that is like the way it's, it's cropped or the image how it's cropped, the symmetry in it, how it's broken down. I'm like, okay, that's kind of Parker's work. And even like I took Peter's class. I don't know if you took Peter's at Maryville University. I said the commercial photo class, the lighting class. Or yeah, I think of some of the stuff that he would talk about, like some of the foundational stuff. And I kind of see some, I, I'm able to understand and see some of that in your work. So that helps me in terms of just aesthetic wise, um, setting it apart. But in terms of the meaning of the work and what's behind it, I would like to dive more into that. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Dominic and Broke, welcome back. I'm your host, Emmanuel Wisdom. Today I'm chatting with full-time educator and documentary photographer, Parker James Reniker. Welcome to the show, Parker. How you doing? Yeah, what, what's up, man? Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> yeah. thanks, thanks for, thanks for hop, hopping on. I feel like your invitation is like the most weighted <laughs> it's been like two two years or a year and a half <laughs> pending <laughs> yeah yeah for real a lot of, yeah it was i think it was even like pre-covid that you and i talked on the phone because the, the i remember the the idea for the podcast came about shortly after graduation in like probably mid 2019 but you know pieces of uh videographer um and a co-host or whatever all of those needed to come out and then i needed to work out the idea to see if it, you know, if it was doable. And then right when we did the first episode and then we did the second one, um, it was already in March and then there was a COVID thing and everything shut down. And I was like, okay, I'm not trying to take chances with us, you know, doing this. So let's try and figure out the Zoom thing and all of that. Fast forward to 2021, you know, glad to be able to not only like connect with, you know, friends, like yourself, but also be able to, you know, chat, work, and, and, and a lot more. Um, so that, that's been like the, like the, like the, I would say like benefactor of kind of so far that I've noticed with the podcast is like time-wise, I'm not able to connect with people until I have an hour, let me chat with them. 
but through the podcast, I'm able to say, okay, what is this when we chat? I'm out. What, what have you been up to and and checking in and all of that. Uh, one thing I want to kind of get started with is um, you're you're still teaching. I um, I took a semester off um, from teaching, so my sanity level has kind of gone up or dropped or leveled out a little bit. But uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it was crazy for a little bit. That's awesome. <laughs> I feel you. Because um, it was like this, this, you know, my first teaching experience was in the middle of a pandemic. And, yeah. and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I, I'm already, you know, trying to get over the teaching thing. And now you, you put a pandemic on top of it. So that was kind of hard to navigate, but we got through it. But you, you said something, uh, you said as an educator, you're, you're like, you get more hype and, and, it's, and, and it's like more, I guess, more engaged when like your students are like clicking to what you're teaching them. Um, and you said like, as a professor, it helps so much and you're like kind of grateful based on like the relationships and things. Um, I want to talk more, talk a little bit about the transition going from like a student to an educator and like what, like that shift that happened. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, I think about it and like, like when I first started at, at Marywood University and that was like my first, like, um, like real, like college experience. I went to Lackawanna junior college. So like I came up through, um, you know, the junior college system. Um, I got my, I, I dropped out of high school. I mean, I got my GED, um, you know, actually when I was in, in, uh, like, a an institution at 17 years old, um, which we can like talk more about later. But, um, but yeah, then when I had, um, the opportunity to go to college. Actually, I remember being in that institution um, and it was like a long-term institution. It was like a three months, something like that. And my roommate at the time, this kid, he was from South Carolina. And like, I mean, we were young, we were 16, 17 years old. And he got like his acceptance letter to Clemson through the mail there or whatever. And like, obviously, like, I mean, he was a kid and he hadn't like completely ran his life into the ground but yeah and I just remember thinking like how cool is that you know like how like what a great feeling that must be you know so like I always had this like attraction um to higher education and I think too like if I didn't have the experience that I had you know growing up and like even dropping out of school and kind of like you know putting college to the wayside and then like getting re-enrolled in Lackawanna Junior College when I was at a different institution outside of you know another one um, or outside of the first one, you know, um, I wouldn't have like as much like appreciation and gratitude for higher education that I do now. And like, so I transferred from Lackawanna Junior College. I didn't get a, I didn't complete the associate's program. I just transferred from Lackawanna to Marywood University where you and I met. And, um, and I remember I was, I was an English major when I first started there. And I had this idea, you know, that I either A, wanted to, um, be like in second like I was like secondary English education um or that I wanted to to eventually like go to law school and like me like I don't know like I completely like I don't, I don't like confrontation like I don't know what ever made me think that I could be a lawyer um but uh like thinking and I mean thinking about that you know like like I um well I'll get back to that I guess but I you know, I, I was taking photography classes as a minor because like I grew up skateboarding um, and I grew up like cutting uh, pictures out of 
Transworld and Thrasher magazines and, and scotch taping them to my walls, you know? So like, to me, like photography and skateboarding, even if it wasn't like, oh, like photographs of, of you know, right. like actual like tricks down a, down a set of stairs or on a handrail or whatever, like still just like the lifestyle photographs that came out of the skateboard culture that you would see in the magazines and like being a kid growing up I was like oh my god like I a not only like saw that and was like attracted to that but like I could relate to it you know in a certain way like in in the so in the groups of people that I was hanging out with and you know my friend group growing up and um yeah so so I always had this like attraction like I always knew like oh like I wanted to do photography and um so I started doing photography and it actually wasn't until like taking a photo history class at Marywood um, that I was like, holy crap. Like I began to look at like the why, not just the how um, within the realm of fine art photography. And, um, and like, I started thinking to myself like, holy crap, you know, like I'm not, and no offense to anybody who like makes a living doing this and they probably make more money than I do, but I wasn't doomed to like, take senior portraits or I wasn't doomed to photograph weddings or um you know do stuff with photography that I felt um that I wasn't necessarily attracted to you know learning that why rather than just like oh the technical how um you know and exploring that and exploring like fine art in general um I have my minor in art history um as well as uh, my bachelor's in fine arts and photo um, and then I have my, I went on to graduate school, but, um, you know, as far as being an educator and coming out of like that student role, um, it wasn't probably until like my junior year. Now there was like a gap in my education, um, because I really, like, I took some time off to really, again, like run my life into the ground. Um, and then like, again, like coming back into, you know, a higher education setting, I think that that even gave me a new, um, gratitude towards higher education and it was my relationship with my professors um sam alfano um nico kaliniotis the angry greek um it was like having those relationships with my professors and them being like hey like you know you're pretty good at this um if you like basically like hey like you have a good eye if we refine that eye and like if this is something you want to do like you're going to have to work your ass off but this is something like you can do and so like literally it was just one of those things like I just like threw my hands up and I was like okay yeah like I want to be an educator I want to be a photographer I want to create work that I want to create and um and I want to use photography as a tool to explore the world around me um and uh so yeah so I just kind of like threw my hands up and I just like listened to whatever they said and it was like okay you know apply to grad school, you know, you should go to grad school. And I ended up going to grad school. And then I began to, like, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design in Atlanta. Um, I was between a number of different grad schools. I applied to a lot of schools. Um, and I got into a handful of schools that I uh, applied to. Um, and, you know, looking back, like, obviously, there's some like, oh, like, I wish I maybe would have had this experience. I wish I would have had this experience. But like thinking about my work and where it is today, like the experience that I had with my, again, with my professors in grad school and with my peers in grad school, like it was awesome. Um, so then coming out of grad school, I'm sorry, this is like a long answer. It's but, all good. It's all good. <laughs> but, 
but um but then coming out of grad school you know like i knew going into grad school that i wanted to be an art educator i knew that i wanted to teach higher education i knew that i wanted to teach at the college level um i knew that i wanted to to act as a guide and drive conversations within the art classroom um you know like that's and that was one of the biggest things like i never had that experience like sitting in an english class or i never had that experience sitting in in a science class or anything else like like the art classroom i think is so um i think it's so special because it isn't just about like oh the work on the wall it isn't just about you know the technical process of like creating work but it more so is like you know embedded in these like critical conversations you know and using art as a tool again to explore um you know sociology human ecology psychology um you know it's so much more um, than just like a, like taking a photograph that's aesthetically pleasing. So I knew that I wanted to like kind of um, yeah have be a foster for those conversations in in a higher education setting. Um, what I do now, I teach at a community college now. Um, so often, I mean, the primary demographic. Um, I, I live in Salisbury, North Carolina. Um, I consider myself still like based in Atlanta. I have a lot of like network in Atlanta where I went to grad school. Um, that's like my, like, that's like my second home. Um, yeah, the Atlanta is a magical, magical place. Um, but I live in central North Carolina now. Um, and the primary demographic uh, of our students is, is where I teach at Rowan Cabarrus Community College. It's a, it's crazy because like we're outside of Charlotte, like students and, and people, we have access to Charlotte um, or we have access to like Winston-Salem, Greensboro, you know, these like these places, um, these, you know, southern cities. Um, but also, too, we're in a very like rural area where we get like such a mix of like, um, like, like black, white, um, Hispanic students, um, you know, but a lot of them are like first generation college students. Um, who've never had the experience to like sit down in an art classroom or like have conversations about their experience before. And I think like it's super awesome, you know, when a student comes into to the art classroom and it's like, hey, like yeah. I want you to create, I want you to create work about like your experience. I want you to create work that's personal to you. And they kind of like look at you like you have five heads and they're like, oh, well, you're not just gonna like tell me what to do. And I'm like, well, you know, yeah, I'll tell you like how to achieve this, right. but like, I want you to do what you want to do. And then, you know, we'll talk about whether or not this is the best way to go about it or not, you know? And even like yeah. with, what you just said with, um, with the students, um, kind of being like, can you show me what to do? I feel like I want to dive a little bit more into the education side. Um, I feel like a lot of students coming from say high school into college are like, are like thought to be a tool we were thought to be a tool so when you get to college where it's much of a higher thinking um there's a there's a there's a tough time with um doing what you want to do um when um say like authority or direction is lacking there's no like self discipline to say um i'm gonna dive into self and and see what is personal to me and how I can translate that into um, the the schoolwork or the assignment or whatever it may be. Um, so I think that's kind of like a shift in thinking with um, 
like students and professors as well, rather than the kind of hand-holding approach that can be, um, uh, that probably can hinder a lot of people in the professional sense, because they will look to other people once they're in the professional sense. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're taking that route and, 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 and you know, also helping them at, at the same time, because as, as an educator, that's something I try to do as well in my first year um, with, and it, it was a weird experience, the very first class I, I held, and I'm standing there and the students are looking at me, I'm like, oh, you're looking at me because I'm supposed to teach yeah. you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I still feel that way. Like this is my this is my third year teaching, and like I still feel that way. It's like oh, the first day of class, you're like oh, hey, you know. Right, and 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 for me, I'm like so I'm you know a few years younger than you, so I'm like a lot more closer to them. So when I'm yeah. in the class, they're like, you student, like who are you? <laughs> um, yeah, but. Once, once I show them my work, they understand why I'm out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. But connecting with the students has been um, very different, like you said, at people from different backgrounds. And that what you I appreciate about arts the most is that you can have these worldly conversations in in um, in a classroom just because um, some people will put that personal experience into the art. And you don't get that in your other gen ed uh, classes um, because it's, you know, you have to do specific things. And so the conversation in art has always been broad. And I feel like artists, regardless um, if you're like a, you know, painter, I like to use the term creatives, like an umbrella term. Yeah. Um, I feel like as creatives, we tackle a lot of um, social and worldly issues. And it's not like we are like problem solvers of those issues, but because that's how we create art, we have to think about the dynamics of things and, and the relationship of things. Like we do a lot more heavy thinking than the average like person think about the you know day to day basics of you know relationship to to things or maybe the government or education system or you know we try and like. Um, answer those things in our own personal way in our work and also show our relationship to how those things kind of affect us or not affect us. Um, yeah. But keeping on the train of education, um, when I was at Marywood, um, my sophomore year, I, I, was, I was ready to drop out because one, I felt like I outgrown the school. It wasn't like creatively pushing me enough. And then two, I already knew what I wanted to do. So yeah. it was a weird dynamic, but three, I had, well, I still have currently three younger siblings and my, the one that's next to me is currently in Pittsburgh, um, in, in, uh, pre-med school. So for me, understanding that dynamic, I was like, and you said earlier, you're first generation, uh, college student, um, same, same as me in terms of, you know, the four years. Um, and getting your bachelor's. So like, I knew that was important for me to kind of stick that out. Just so my siblings could know that it was kind of doable in the sense, because you know, that kind of matters as well. Yeah. Um, so, but for me personally, sophomore year, I knew what I wanted to do and college was kind of a, it was kind of in a way, to be honest. So like the next two years was about sharpening my skills and, and getting out of there as fast as I could. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what was that you 
you graduated from Marywood though, right? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, 20, 2018. Um, yeah. So for me, sophomore year though, I had already figured it out. And my question to you is, um, college or no college in terms of recommendation to um, like creative or art students? Or, or you could, is it something that you say, get that life experience and then come back to um, and explore? Yeah. Yeah. I, so, okay. So, yeah, that's a really that's a tough one. <laughs> well, yeah. So I think that's like, that question is so like, that question is so broad when I think it like, you know, I don't think there is like an, like, again, like an umbrella answer to that question. Like, I think it's completely based on the individual. Like I knew coming out of undergrad that I was ready to like go to grad school. I was like, you know what? Like I need a graduate school experience. I don't want this to end. I, you know, cause like my junior and senior year at Marywood was when like, I really started to like get a really good understanding of the direction my work was like kind of headed, you know? Mm. And I needed to continue to grow that, um, yeah. you know, for me, like, I really like, like, like I was really beginning to like open, open the box a little bit um, and like peek inside. And I needed to like go to a space or I needed to be in an environment where like, okay, you know, I have this like support system behind me. I'm going to rip the lid off the box and um, see what's inside and like explore, um, you know, different avenues of which my work could go. Right. Um, you know, where like I talked to a handful of people and I have a couple students now, um, who like, I mean, we were like where I teach now is like a two year school and we work with, uh, the UN within, you know, mostly the UNC college system, um, UNC Charlotte, UNC Greensboro. And I have a student right now who like, we're, we're pushing towards Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. Um, so like the main, like UNC campus and, uh, or the big one and, um, uh, and yeah, so, um, but even then talking to them, like, you know, I see students and they're like, oh, well, this is what I want to do. And it's like, oh, well, you know, are you sure? And especially with art too, like, I think this is, and I don't know if this is the, you know, I don't know if this is the right direction to go with this conversation, but I think it's an important direction to think about. Like, like we think about art right. growing up through high school, or we think about art in elementary school, and it's like something that isn't taken um, not seriously or whatever, but it isn't, you know, it's almost like looked at as a period or a block that's like, oh, you get to go and chill out in the art room. And like, it's not like taken as seriously and like thought about as like, oh, this can be a profession, you know? Um, so I think like, 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 I don't know, like I think about my experience, like I didn't go to law school or I didn't try to go to law school because I wasn't meant to be a lawyer, you know? And like, you see a lot of kids and kids that you went to school with right. kids that I went to school with who are in an art education program, and they probably shouldn't be there. And that sounds like rude and exclusive. Um, but I mean, like looking at like, like a setting, like a high school setting that views art as like, oh, this back burner thing, you know, where like, oh, the budgets for the arts are cut. Um, you know, it's like, oh, the arts, arts and music are the first thing to go, you know, so it's like this thing that isn't taken seriously. Right. And then a, student, then a student comes into an art program, a college level art program, and they're like forced to like, take a look at um, right. art, art critically, or like, they're 
force, not force, but like, you know, we're having these like hard in depth really kind of like half ass the assignments or anything else no more. You have to yeah. really do a deep dive to find that that connection, like you were speaking of that ex- exploration of self that kind of let you know higher education was needed. Um, yeah. That is what I felt like was missing in um, high school art classes. Um, yeah. For me, I, I went to architecture and design high school. So for us, that was our thing. But I can imagine in a regular um, high school where, like, I, I remember middle school, our class was probably the easiest for me, but that was one of them classes where it was more of a leisure time. And yeah. But I feel like the, the actual teaching of, you know, what art is, is not thought to students. To, for them to understand what it is, it's just more of a, of you know, like a this look at uh, like a gym or you know, some like recess or something, um, because yeah. the you know the art itself is not thought to, to students in a way that they can understand to what art is, and even yeah. like even like people who go and graduate have a hard time defending or defining what art is. Um, yeah. And, and so I feel like that is, might be part of the problem, but um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of like uh, the best or design books, photography books that you read um, that kind of uh, yeah, help you, so- help you uh, make that transition. Like when you were, you know, thinking, is this the right jump for me? as far as college or whatever. And then maybe when you got there, some, some books or things that really kind of let you know you're in the right, the right spot. Yeah. So, 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 um, so, um, taking again, the history of photography class was like, like taking a hit at this, at the time, I think I was, I think I was a sophomore. Like I went to, I was at Marywood for like six years, dude. Um, Cause I took, I took time off and, you know, I came back in and like, I kind of like crawled back in through the door. And yeah, yeah. honestly, speaking of Marywood, I think the last time you and I physically saw each other was, I don't know if you remember this, but either you was going up the stairwell in Insulaco and I was going down but that was when the Meek Mill Championship album dropped and you was telling me about it. <laughs> you remember yeah. that? I think so, yeah. That, that's I think like so. that last like, time I, I have of like physically seeing you. That was like around sophomore yeah. or, or junior year for yeah. me. Yeah, well, um, even like thinking, even thinking about like personal, ex- well, yeah, even thinking about personal experiences and we can like move on and um, I'll come back to the question in a second. We can talk about this, but like, like and Marywood like I mean you look at a place like Marywood and like like Marywood is a, is a private Catholic school in northeastern Pennsylvania in an area that is predominantly like white like Roman Catholic like right. like where like you know like I'm sure your experience at Marywood was completely different than mine being one of like a handful of like black students at yeah. school one you definitely know? probably like black graphic design student for a good yeah. handful of time until yeah. my senior year like two people was in the program yeah but, you know for me that's not something i look at but continue well i was well yeah i was just gonna say like like thinking about like my experience and then like moving on out of out of marywood um you know like i remember i, I was on my way to class the one day and i think you were in the mac lab 
Um, you know, and like my friend group growing up, like, I mean, I grew up predominantly around like people who looked like me, you know, maybe like from like a lower class, uh, like a, a lower middle class background. Um, but I grew up around kids who like looked like me, you know, and I, um, I remember I got pulled over on my way to class one day and I was late for a Photoshop class and I came in to the classroom and, um, I was, Sam was teaching a class and I said something, I was like, oh, like, like, oh, I got pulled over by a Dunmore cop and the Dunmore cop was African-American. And I said, I was like, oh, the Dunmore, I was like, he was this black cop. And I remember you spoke up and you said to me, you're like, why does, like, what does that matter? You know, you're like, oh, what does it matter? But like moving forward then, like thinking about my experience and like the language that like, you know, we formulate um, around our environment, um, you know, moving out of Marywood and moving to a place like Atlanta, Georgia, you know, <laughs> it was, it was a very, like, it was a very different experience for me. And it really changed, like literally within my graduate program, like I was the only, I think I, you know, within my graduate program, I think I, out of like 18 or 22 people, like we were small, right. we were a really like tight knit group of people, but I honestly think I was the only straight white male. Mm. you know and it was like it's interesting that you brought that up because i could that was that shift happened when i came from philly to scranton because i came from school that was about 96 percent african-american and then when i was at marywood the ratio was you know it was what it was but i it was crazy because i didn't really know you know about you know diversity and all that you don't really care about that you're just trying to get to college to have fun go to parties yeah yeah whatever, whatever. So like, as students, we don't really think about all of that stuff that's actually meaningful things to be thinking about. Um, yeah, I remember when I got to Marywood, it was a, like, just like Scranton, it was a, like a cultural shock from Philly. And I was like, wow, you guys are so close, but so different from us in, in the sense of, you know, just openness or just in terms of the people that are in the city. Um, yeah. But also that kind of helped in, in terms of, you know, getting some of those, you know, Philly energy that only Philly people understand out the way so I could get to the real education. Um, yeah. Like it's kind of needed, like you were saying, to, like, to put yourself in those different environments where, you know, you might go from, you know, being comfortable to, you know, the only person or, you know, being in a minority. But that invites a lot of learning, you know, opportunities and, and ways to kind of reset who you are. Um, well, well and that, well, I was going to say, and that, like, and, and that's kind of like my point, like, that, you know, coming into, like, talk about an environment where, like, you know, you begin and it's encouraged to, like, question your own experience, you know, and, like, say, like, oh, like, like, almost, like, hold yourself accountable in a lot right. of ways, you know, within the art classroom more so than, like, you know, you don't have that opportunity anywhere else in the realm of higher education, except like art and design, you know, it's like, like you begin to have those, well, I mean, maybe like psychology, sociology, and mm-hmm. anthropology and stuff like that. But, um, you know, but I mean, even then you're looking at the past, you know, um, whereas like, analyzing a lot of quote unquote analytical behaviors or that, you know, it's like textbooks and not until you get to the inclusion of self, but art from the get go that you're saying, is is that from the beginning yeah yeah definitely and to lead back to the question you know like 
like it wasn't until um so during my i think i, I think i was a sophomore um again like i mean i was all over the place within like my time at marywood but i think i was a sophomore and I was taking a large format photography class. So um, it was basically like advanced black and white photography, advanced darkroom photo. Um, and we were working with four by five camera. I've one of my four by five cameras laying around here, whatever, it's not important. But um, um, it's a large, you know, we were working with four by five negatives um, in which case it, it was a very hands-on process of making a photograph. You know, it wasn't like with a 35 millimeter camera, you know, it's like, in black and white or whatever, it's like, oh, click, like, you know, yeah, I have like some sort of controller or whatever, but at the end of the day, when I go to develop the film, like, you know, there's kind of like a little bit of a hope and a prayer and like chance, like, oh, I hope this comes out, you know? Whereas like with large format, you know, I really began to understand like the control that I had over the image. And like, I actually began to like, like, like think in, um, like black and white in a way, like I could like, you know, I, I could be able to see the image that I was going to make before right. I press the shutter, if that uh, makes That's very interesting. That makes a lot of sense because that's how I work. If you look at my my work, like uh, yeah. it's very back black and white and then like colored comes to where say when it's like 90 some percent done. But that yeah. makes sense because um, when you're able to like break, I remember um, it's probably like, you know, John Mazza and Marywood? Yeah, yes. Yeah, probably the, John or yeah. one of them. He was a graphic design professor. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know um, he was. And uh, yeah, he was, uh, he, he was my advisor as well. So like him and I chopped it up frequently. But he, we was talking and um, I think we were talking about like working out a problem, like a design problem in black and white first because then it's easily transferable and you can add color. And as far as simplicity, you know for a fact that, because if you design something in color, it has, you have to simplify so it works in black and white. So if it's, you know, for a cheaper print or whatever. But yeah. when you reverse the order where you're working, you know, with black and white, then by the time you get to the color, that whole process is done. You don't really got to go back and think about um, that's crazy. It. I never thought about that with design. Like, that's, yeah, but it, this is what, as you was, as you was talking, it made so much sense because it's so similar. And yeah. and in terms of just how you're able to, um, the end product, chop it up and say, because with design you gotta, if you you gotta you know have files for web for print, if it's going you know specific resolutions. Um, so by the time you create all of that, it's easier to to take the whole thing and just kind of shift them and. And, and you know, what's what could be kind of categorized properly. But my personal approach is always black and white and then color. But what you yeah. were speaking to, I have the same approach where if I sit down, whether it's sketch or just going with, with you know, straight with the ink, I already see the, the finished image um, yeah. to, to an extent, you know, in my head. And then the black and white is just kind of like foundational stuff that I'm just mm -hmm. laying down. Um, for you know what I've already have up here, so that kind of helped me a lot in terms of like it, it's kind of a faster process as well because you don't invite a lot of you know um, in terms of design elements, colors, and how they're gonna complement one another. You don't you don't really invite all that pressure right away, you know, as a, as a as a creative. So you you focus on either the concept you're exploring and things like that. But you were talking about your cameras and stuff. Um, 
which I, I don't know a lot about. So yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. what was your uh, your your go to uh, camera or or lens that you? Um, well, it's changed over the. It's really changed over the years, and depending on what I'm depending on what I'm doing. So um, currently, right now, um, I am shooting digital. Um, I'm shooting. Um, and like 35 millimeter black and white, but that's kind of like, uh, like that's kind of an afterthought with the current work that I'm doing. Um, but mostly so like, so when I was an undergrad, um, I started shooting a Nikon like D 5600, like a, like a little, um, I don't know, entry level, like, like digital camera. Um, and then. I think it was like my senior year, I made the jump and I got a, D, a Nikon D610. Um, and it had like a battery grip, it was big and bulky, like whenever I'd go out and photograph, like it's funny, like the attitude that comes with, or the attitude of people um, and how they view like cameras. Um, right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny, like it's a completely different world than it used to be in like, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. but. Um, because like people automatically assume like things are going to get posted on the internet, you know, which I mean, they, they, do. they usually end up getting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but like, it's funny, like, like whenever I go out and shoot, I shoot a Nikon D810 now mm. um, with a big like battery grip on it. Like it's a big, literally like it's a cinder block. Like I could probably throw it against the wall and pick it up and shoot with it. And, um, and um it's funny like how I oftentimes like get asked less questions because they automatically assume like I know what I'm doing, right. <laughs> you know? Um, it's better. Yeah, so like people like, like I was photographing a fair, um, like, uh, and it wasn't for anything. Like I just like, like I love photographing fairs. Um, it's a good time. Um, I was photographing a fair like two weeks ago, um, this fair and this like ATV race and like four people asked me like oh like what newspaper are you working for or what you know what i'm saying um whereas i also shoot a sony a7 like a small little um like a smaller like little full frame mirrorless camera um right. a sony a7 and i i shot that a lot during grad school um because it was smaller so it wasn't as like as much of a presence okay like and i not necessarily like being sneaky but like like people were it was almost like people were like less intimidated by that but also too again you know so like mm. like that opposite attitude of like hey what i often get like hey what are you taking a picture of yeah. you know <laughs> when i have the sony as opposed to when i'm like shooting with like a big chunky like 810 so yeah it's funny but i usually tell people like hey like you know i'm a photographer i'm the photo professor over here at the community college and yada 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 this is just what i do you know right. um people understand it people are like oh cool you know but yeah there's always like a wall that goes up um yeah, it's funny. yeah so that's, that's what i'm shooting now yeah it's funny that you talk about like the people reactions to cameras and 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 um like like with camera i feel like you probably don't relate to that to this at all but with cameras the first introduction of cameras was two people of African descent was was more of policing. So yeah. people, don't, people don't understand that. So a lot of like people of African American descent, uh, Black Americans, are very still feel that you know nerves and and things. 
if you put a camera in that face because it was yeah. more of a we got you on camera and, and you can't do anything about it and even at yeah. times if you don't have someone on camera just saying you got them on camera was enough for them to you know fess up to something that they didn't do um mm-hmm. so like i feel like people having let go of all of that immediately i personally don't like anyone in my face with a camera um which yeah. is very weird now i do the podcast and yeah and whenever we shoot in person i'm like give me like 10 minutes let me let me get in the zone and things like yeah. that but <laughs> yeah it, it is a whole thing it's a whole process <laughs> yeah. it, and it's funny because like literally like if i was like out like just living my life and i saw somebody like i oh, was taking a picture of me like i would probably be offended i'd be like, Yo, like <laughs> you know what i mean like, oh man <laughs> So, but also too, like, and that's one thing, and that's one thing, like, I think like my work with the new work, Two Cardinals in the Thicket, like has, has changed a lot. Like I've, um, and so I don't know this, if this was going to be like a previous question, but like my work, so, so during undergrad at Marywood, like I began a project called the then, the now, the everything after, and that was work based on like the Northeast. The now and everything after. Yeah, the then, the now, the everything after. Um, that was that was work that was based in um, northeastern Pennsylvania. That was like in the coal region, um, and that was like such a reflection of, um, I don't know, like I was really thinking about like again like my personal experience, um, you know, more so conceptually. So like there was there was a lot of like heavy highlight or like you know very detailed highlights like deep saturated highlights and then really dark shadows so like you had this conflict of like light and shadow or like um you know light and darkness or good and evil in a way um you know and that's how kind of like i could i like manifested you know personally you know that concept with that early work and i was shooting a lot with uh the professor nico calianiotis he's still like one of my very close friends um you know, he was an adjunct professor while we were at Marywood. Um, and uh, him and I began shooting together. Um, you know, we would go out and we would go and just photograph and just literally just walk around Scranton, Navoca, um, Pittston, Wilkes-Barre, like wherever, um, Plymouth, like we were up and down through the valley. Um, I wrote an essay um, titled The Rain and the Love for his first monograph, um, America in a Trance, that was published by Damiani in Italy. Um, and that was like, like, I was beyond blessed for that opportunity to do that. And the essay in that, in that book, and the essay in his book, like I wrote an essay, and then this other dude, um, Seamus, um, wrote an essay, I forget what the essay's titled, I'd have to pull the book, but um, we did a we did a, a panel discussion um, about the book at the University of Scranton. We were talking about how like my essay was like the young man and his essay was like the old man, you know, and how it was like almost like the two essays were like talking to one another. Um, so yeah, so like I've always been like invested in this idea of like small town America and like small town value, I guess you could say. Um, but I was always like working at a distance. So like, I was always like interested in space and like building a frame. Like you would see like a lot of like banded compositions, like the street at the bottom of the frame, right. the sidewalk buildings in the middle of the frame and then the sky at the top of the frame. And that was something that I carried with me into graduate school. Like I was working on two projects in graduate school. Uh, one was titled in his image, um, which was a series of photographs in North Georgia taken in like the Appalachian foothills there in North Georgia, um, small towns 
you know, it was an area that um, was actually a one of the big it is one of the biggest producers in like the carpeting and hardwood flooring industry here in the United States. And like you think about like textile mills and what cotton means to the South. And so like that industry right. coming out of like slave cotton production, like um yeah and and then in during 2008 the great recession like dalton county i think yeah i think dalton georgia the town of dalton georgia um had more layoffs per capita than any other town in the united states and it was all like carpet industry hardwood floor industry um yeah it was interesting um so I had the opportunity, I was going and I was making that work. Um, and I titled it in his image because it was like really like my first introduction to like the Bible Belt. But like the first couple edits that I was working with as a series, like only included um, female figures, so like female subjects. So it'd be like my interactions or like I'd photograph like, um, it would be like women in these towns, I guess you could say. Um, and I was raised by my mom. Um, so like this idea of like, oh, like, like the the contrast of like oh like what you learn in in you know organized religion about you know the male right. figure and then like i don't know um but then also too i started working in uh new mexico um on a project called running from the sun um and the title of that came about i was it was like my first time driving out to new mexico from atlanta and um i had just gotten up early at this crappy little motortel um in oklahoma city and i was driving and like i like saw in my side view mirror um like the first like crack of sunlight over the horizon in western oklahoma like behind me and like i thought to myself like oh like i feel like i'm like running from the sun in a way um and then like to bring that into the concept of the work like it was like you know this area you know that has like such a i mean it's like I, the project running from the sun was done um, in the Route 66 corridor of um, New Mexico, um, which is like one of the most diverse um, and impoverished road rate corridors in the United States. Now, the work wasn't like, like, I'm not, I don't view myself like I'm not interested in like poverty porn. Like, I'm not like, like, that's like, I'm more interested in space and like right. environment rather and landscapes and like how like a landscape defines an identity of a place rather than like oh hey look at these people you know what i mean like that's not because that's not how i would want to be portrayed like i'm more focused on like the idea of place um and so yeah so like so even then like talking about um like equipment like for the longest time i was using a 50 millimeter prime lens because like the 50 millimeter being the closest aspect to the human eye you know so like it was like this whole idea of like oh what you see is what you get but like the landscape is like such a presence out there in new mexico that um i began opening it up a little wider um i started using a 35 millimeter lens um rather than a rather than a 50 and i literally shot like that entire project on this little sony um with a 35 millimeter lens um and there it was like i'm looking at that project right now on your site yeah and it was like that, a lot of that work, you know, banded compositions, like the road in the bottom, the buildings in the middle with like the human element, you know, right. placed, placed in the frame and the sky at the top. Like that was really like a, a point of all that. And like within that work, um, I really began. So like, you know, there was this level of like distance between me, me and, and the human subject, the human element. 
Um, so you, now the human or the subject in the photograph? Well, so like the human element. So like the, like if there was like a person in the photograph, like there was only a handful of pictures in that, in that series that like, I was like really close to a person, you know, that I was really like talking to them for the most part, like the person was almost like, like I, I wrote about in the artist statement, um, I wrote about in the artist statement that the like the human figure passing through the frame as if it represents this place passing through time, you wow. know? Um, and that's really like the role that the human element played in that project, you know? Um, whereas like there was some closer interactions, um, you know, where like the, the head was cut out of the frame. Um, yeah, that, that was probably something I enjoyed from that series. Cause that gave me a little yeah. bit of like Tom, Tom and Jerry nostalgia with, um, yeah. or not seeing yeah, the people's face at all. <laughs> so that Dude, was that's great. great. Yeah. I never, I've never thought about that. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, you remember, I don't know, like as a kid, you always wanted to see them and you're like, yeah. if I could, they'd probably add a lot more to, you know, the story or whatnot, but you had to yeah. just use your imagination and, and, and figure it out. And sometimes they give you like an ear and you're like, oh, wow, we're getting there. But yeah. I enjoy that because it kind of forces you to. And now that you're talking about talking about it in, in the sense of your focal point was more of the landscape and um, the you know, conversation between what's happening in that, in that, in that frame. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense because um, look, even looking at the people, you could tell a lot more about like there's a dude in there with a their oval belt buckle um and so you can yeah. talk about like that clothing and what they wear and you can try and like put these stories together um but you can also yeah that's see, glad he's the man dude. <laughs> but you can also see yeah, like the reflection in the you know in the backgrounds and things so you can culturally you can put it together um and well and and that so so and there was a lot of like murals in that in that project so like a lot of like the paintings on the wall um depicting the landscape and like like me like i grew up and i'm not the only photographer who's like gone out and done um projects about like the american west with this in mind um but like you know like i i grew up like in in my grandparents house where like you know clint eastwood's like the good the bad and the ugly was like on tv you know the old spaghetti westerns and um you know, John Wayne movies and like, oh, this idea of like, oh, this place um, being this, like almost like projecting, um, you know, a a really skewed idea of what a place is about, you know? So the murals um, actually, A, they stand for like two things or they became to stand for like two things. A, the history of a place, you know, and oftentimes like the person walking in the frame, like their back is turned towards a mural so it's almost like you know like what can that represent you know like like the reality and the idea of a place but also too like a lot of the drawings it's almost like these childlike narratives or like cartoon-like narratives of like what this place has come to stand for when like in all reality like that isn't the reality you know um that does exist there like yeah these beautiful like mesas and like beautiful like desert landscape does exist there but like it's also like a very like hard place to live. You know, it's a very like, like you need to adapt the way that you live to, right. to the landscape you're living in, you know, like even if you do live in a town, you know, it's, it's very, 
um, like the people who live along in that area, um, along that roadway corridor, and you could relate that to, to anywhere in, in small town America. Like I could relate that to, to um, Northeastern Pennsylvania. Like, you know, this idea where it's like a hard place to do things and it's hard to do what you want. And it's hard to like say things or do things and get people to care, you know? And like, yeah. So like conveying that difficulty and conveying that relationship between place, I think is, was important, you know? Yeah, I can even, like, speaking of the mural, I can even relate that to, like, you know, growing up in Philly with, yeah. um, just like the murals are meant to inspire. So, yeah. so like, I, I can see that dynamic of, you know, a mural out there kind of depicting a little bit exaggerated landscape or, like, lifestyle, um, you know, possibly for something that's hoped for. Um, but I want to kind of shift a bit here. Um and get more personal. But before we do that, I have one question. Quick question for you. Um, do you pour your cereal before your milk? Yeah, I do. I pour my cereal before my milk. Great, great, great. Psyche check. Yeah, who, <laughs> yeah, who, who, who pours their milk before their cereal? Do people do that? You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. That's great. You, have, you haven't heard like, like cereal and orange juice combos and all the well, yeah, but I mean, that's like, I don't know, that's like, like, literally, there was a, I forget what, I think it was a, I think it was a Slipknot music video growing up. It was like, I think it was a Slipknot Wait and Bleed video, where it was like, not the cartoon characters, but the kid, he like, goes over to this really gross, like, faucet, and he pours, like, dirty water into like, you know, this bowl of cereal with like, maggots in it. Yeah. I mean, it was an awesome music video. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. But Yeah. <laughs> Ever oh. since, ever since, ever since seeing that, I was like, oh my god, like I only. But I mean, I don't know. I I use almond milk. Yeah, almond milk. Yeah, I'm an almond milk guy. Yeah. Oh, oh, milk is is my go-to now. So good, yeah. It's a, it's like I, I don't know. I think it's it's kind of the whole. It's very weird because like when you think about all of the the whole dynamic of growing up and the food you was given and now all of a sudden those food are bad but back then those food were approved by the health department yeah. you know what i'm saying it's very weird thinking about that dynamic of yeah. people approving stuff and then now it's like oh well well it, it, you know it's not really food <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it's like the dynamic of food has been interesting when i think about it but um you know it is what it is and you know i, I try as a person my go-to now is like uh before you know like getting the studio started and all of that it was like red bull coffee and you know all sorts of hours you know yeah. i was getting results don't get me wrong but then health wise that, that was not good and uh and i was in the hospital for a bit because i had a stomach thing and so yeah. I was, uh you know all of this stuff matters and, and then i was i had to like um put myself on to like gut health education and, and understanding dynamics of what I was putting in my body. And I made the shift from going from, you know, coffee. Like I, that, I was at one point before college, I wasn't drinking coffee. I got to college. I got hooked on coffee. Post-college, I couldn't stop drinking coffee. Also, yeah. I went through that whole thing and then coffee's no longer in the equation. But, um, even now when I try and drink coffee, my body is just like, it doesn't even, like, 
accept it as much. But like, yeah. Now I do like more organic route with like smoothies and um and like just like eating overall healthy. But I I realized that that improves my like psyche and as a creative person, it provided me with a lot of balance. Then going from you know like doing the day, you know like a like a peak, then crash because of the food or sugar, and then you know going on that wave. It's more of a either st- steady glide or based on what I'm eating, energy goes through the roof. So, like, as a person, I try to think about that whole dynamic as a creative and understanding, you know, food. and Because as a creative, we are, like, uh, one man, one woman machinery. And yeah. so we got to think of, you know, if, if you were, like, a car, you know, what, what gasoline are you is best for you? And, you know, yeah. what, what mechanic and other things in the car that needs changing. So I think of it that way. And yeah. in the show, Dumb, Naked, and Broke, it's more about um, understanding the dynamic of creatives and, and like the journey and the process of creatives. Um, I personally like understanding the formula that creatives have you know, created upon themselves or came up with or tweaked to apply to their own lives because I feel like those formulas could be applied to any part of the creative aspect. It's, um, it doesn't matter if you're a musician, painter, a designer, or you know any other creative umbrellas out there. It's just a matter of someone going from point A to point B, but in the creative space where there are, you know, like for example, we don't, we didn't, um, we don't have, we don't have the same uh, professional um, backgrounds. But in terms of schooling, we have the same, you know, schooling background for a little bit. So those are the overlaps that I try to get to and have people try to understand that dynamic. But the show Dumb, Naked, and Broke, it's called Dumb, Naked, and Broke because of you're not, you're not really dumb. It's like dumb meaning you're young, uh, naked meaning you're inexperienced, and broke meaning you're ignorant. So it's, um, you're you know, young, inexperienced, and ignorant. But with that is once you understand that, you can then change the dynamics of what you need to, you know, kind of uh, fulfill those things. Um, like you were saying, when you, when you got to grad school, you understood what you needed to get to that next step. And that was, that's kind of like the dynamic that I try to shoot for with the show um, and helping people understand um, how to go from, you know, being a young person wrong, isn't there's nothing wrong with that. It just comes with age and, you know, yeah. being uh, inexperienced. It's, you know, the opposite of that is getting experience. So, you know, getting out of your bubble and going out there, like we were saying, putting yourself in the comfortable situations and getting that experience. And being ignorant is, I look at it as a knowledge thing in terms of um, how are you, how much knowledgeable are you in your field or knowledgeable outside of your field. And um, I think those three things combined can help any creative pe- person just kind of elevate yeah. that craft or just that personal life in general. Um, but good to know that you kind of passed my unofficial, official psyche test, which is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. <laughs> it's, it's one of them answers where you got to like pause the interview for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's <true. laughs> Oh man. But a little, speaking about a little more personal, um, on a more personal note, uh, we were telling earlier about uh, you being like an IV drug user. 
for about 10 years or 10 years ago. Um, yeah. Before getting, now getting into your current work. Um, or it, that kind of, I don't know, like you could more explain the story. Was that like a thing that happened and then photography happened? Or was it something that happened and then you kind of was kind of unstrangling yourself from it and then photography was in the mix back then? Yes. So it's leading into your new um, upcoming series. Uh, what is the title? The Cardinals, Cardinals in the Thicketh. Um, yeah. That is kind of uh focus on um ecology and the relationship of you know people and 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 in yeah. uh, their environments yeah so um i mean yeah that's like uh i mean it's it's a long long story but um which i mean oftentimes like i mean in the in the realm of <laughs> in the realm of fine art you know like i i cater to um like I cater to like galleries and publications and, um, you know, like that's where like my, my work like lives, you know? Um, so oftentimes it's like when, when I have a collector who's like buying, um, you know, a, a, an artwork or whatever, buying a photograph, you know, it's like, like, like they don't know. Right. It's not like, you know, I don't know. It's not like I don't, I have an opportunity via these like publications or via like, you know, a gallery and via like selling my work and stuff. You know, I don't have the opportunity or I never like, you know, I don't have the opportunity to dive into like personal, you know, personal experience, personal history. And I was, you and I were talking before we started like recording or whatever about, um, you know, you and I being friends and this being a platform to like talk about experience and, and maybe, you know, somebody right. like, you know, listens to this or whatever. And they're like, holy crap, you know, like I, you know, yeah. Like I know somebody who had an experience like that, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I started using drugs and alcohol at like such a young age, um, you know, and when I did, it was like, you know, I, I think I was in like eighth grade or something like that. And um, you know, when I did, when I discovered, when I discovered it, I felt like I like had missed, or I felt like I had discovered the memo that like everybody else had read. You know, I was like, oh my God, like, how did I, how did I miss this? How, how was I living my life, you know, before this? Like, and I mean, that's like, like 12, 13 years old, you know what I mean? Like, like up until the time I was 12 or 13 and I had, you know, started using drugs and alcohol regularly, like I felt inadequate, you know, I always felt less than I felt, I never felt good enough, you know? And, um, and I feel like a lot of kids, you know, they don't, I don't know, um, yeah, I mean, sure, that's, like, normal, like, attitudes of, like, young people and teenagers and, like, coming into yourself, um, but, yeah, when I, when I discovered that, I was, like, oh, man, this is, this is awesome, this is the ticket, and um, that's all I wanted to do, you know, all my thoughts, like, just revolved around that, um, and like I said to you earlier, you know, I, I dropped out of high school, um, you know, because it was getting in the way of what I wanted to do, you know, and, um, Fast forward a little bit, you know, at, at 17 years old, I ended up into, um, you know, an inpatient treatment center um, for adolescents and drugs and, you know, for drugs and alcohol. Um, what was that your, um, was that your decision or did something happen? No, that was like, I'd gotten in trouble. Um, yeah, I'd gotten in trouble. 
Um, I was facing some like, just like, I mean, at the time it was like BS because like I, at this period, you know, from like literally like 15 to 21, um, you know, I was 15 to 22, um, you know, it was like I was in and out of legal trouble and, um, yeah, due to my actions, you know, and, um, like, so I ended up in a treatment center, um, I got out of the treatment center and like within a matter of like a month, I was back in uh, the treatment center for long term. I ended up leaving. I was in the treatment center for three months and then I ended up going to um, a halfway house and I was the youngest person in um, the halfway house in Northeastern Pennsylvania. That's how I ended up in Scranton. Um, and uh, yeah. And I, like I worked at this like, and I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't necessarily using hard drugs. I was really like deep into Xanax at the time and, um, you know, abusing prescription medication and, um, yeah. And, uh, I, um, you know, I was working at Lowe's, um, there in Dixon city. I was driving, a, I was driving a forklift. It was awesome. I'm forklift certified. <laughs> um, um, I don't know if my certification is expired, but, um, but yeah, so that was like 2000, 2008 something like that um that was like 2008 and I ended up you know because I was so young one of the dudes who like who ran the halfway house he was this older man um you know he's like oh he's like we're gonna he's like you need to like go to college you know I got my GED when I was in rehab you know as a kid at 17 years old um and then he's like oh he's like you need to like go to college you need to like do this and um at the time like I was so young um, and I didn't appreciate the opportunity that I was given, you know, but I ended up going to Lackawanna college. Um, and in there, then I transferred to, um, Marywood and it was like, when I transferred to Marywood, like I was, so I was 19 years old, something like that. And I had this idea. I was like, Hey, like, I just want to be a college kid. I just want to party. Um, you know, it's never gonna, you know, it's not going to happen to me. Um, and yeah, like it, it, within six months, I had like almost like two years, I had like almost like two years sober. Um, and then within like six months, um, you know, I've been doing things that I never said I would do, you know, um, I had, you know, kids, um, living at, at this apartment I was renting in the hill section in Scranton, um, who were IV drug users and, uh, and they were like, yeah, um, you know, do this and you'll spend less money, like whatever that meant. That's not true. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, he's like, oh, it, it doesn't take as much to, you know, get high. And I did it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is, you know, I had that feeling again of like, oh, like this is this is like, how did I miss the memo? You know, this is exactly what I had been what I had been looking for. Um, and then from there, it was off to the races. Um you know, over the course of about two years, um, I had taken time off from Marywood. Um, I wasn't at Marywood. Um, I was living in a car. Um, then I was living in a rental car um, for like a couple of weeks. Then I wrecked the rental car and then I was on the street. Um, I was living in, a, I was like back and forth. Like I would stay at certain places. Um, but yeah, I would stay um, like in an abandoned building. Um, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, I'd run around Baltimore, West Baltimore, um, 
Philadelphia, Irvington, New Jersey. Um, I mean, and this is like scattered all over the place. Like there's a timeline to this, but yeah, like I really um, found myself in some, some really dark places. Like, I mean, you being from Philadelphia, like um, there's that, uh, there's that um, um, Instagram page called Kensington beach. Um, that's really like hard to, it's really hard to look at. Dude, I'm working in Kensington right now. Doing. Some, Are you really? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was I was running up. Things. I I was never like like I would never like I've been there a couple of times. Like I would run around um, K and A, but I mean, for the most part, like I stayed in the letters. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm definitely I'm in the heart of all of it. Um, it's funny. Yeah, G Street. Um, don't mean to like cut you up in the middle of your story. Oh, um, you're good. But uh, the that K and A, you know, whatever, Kensington, Allegheny. Um, for non-Philly peeps. Um, yeah. Like, uh, it's such a, like, a, in terms of, like, heat, it's such a, like, a hot spot that, like, a lot of things kind of, like, ripple out of that center point. It's, and, but, like, the thing I'm doing, I'm not hanging out there as much, but um, I'm working out there. Don't want to get too much away with a client before they keep me off that project. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm working, I'm, I'm, so I'm doing a mural out there with my buddy, um, Eric, yeah. who, who also went to Merriwood, but he's now a muralist yeah. um, illustrator. And we're, 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 we started with in the building and now we're on the outside and, and, but the, the owners have a couple of stores on Kensington that, and they were like, well, you guys need to like help us beautify, you know, the place and, and put a mural on the road down gates or something on the walls and things. She's like, sure. And we are pitching the concept and stuff. And Eric comes up, uh, he goes, Eric's a white kid from Ambler. Um, yeah. So it, it kind of is, there's a contrast when him and I are like, you know, together and, and things we talk about is always a contrast, which is always good because, yeah. you know, it's a lot of learning. Um, but he was like, dude, for this schedule, um, we, we're working from seven to three. No, no longer. <laughs> from seven in the morning to three yeah. p.m. And I'm punching out. <laughs> I was like, dude, it's not that bad out here. <laughs> he was like, yep, I'm not, I'm not going past 3 p.m. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's kind of, you know, seeing that, even though we're kind of laughing a little bit about it, but seeing, seeing that and, and seeing how, like, people, regardless of where you go, drug user or not, alcohol abuser or not, like, people are people. They have dreams. They have hopes. They have yeah. aspirations. And when you talk to them, you, you, you hear it in that voice, you hear it in that tune, you see it in their eyes. And so it's like, it's so, it's so kind of, it's tough to, to, to hear about it happen and being so close to where you live. It's so weird because I, I work in Fishtown for, for a year and I was just in Fishtown yesterday. Fishtown is the next quote unquote city little thing over. Yeah. And Fishtown is so different in terms of contrast. You, you'll be like, oh, where am I? Yeah. Um, but like that is yeah. our dynamic for me in the process um but last year we worked with some uh real estate developers who were looking to you know um clean things up in kensington and they were talking like ownership and equity within the community so yeah. a lot of like you know things is happening as far as um bringing new light into that sense but um going back to what you was talking about i personally kind of I was always comfortable like I've, I've always been in the mix of things just like even like now I'm like looking back I'm like damn but personally I've always been in the mix I've always hung out with anyone 
any kind of, yeah. that was just always my thing. But as a person, when I was younger, um, I grew up with my grandmother, then grew up with my, my mom or, or pops. My mom and her and her family, step pops was in America and I was, I grew up in West Africa in Liberia. And, yeah. and yeah. I grew up with my grandmother and, and that was some kind of freedom in that, you know, not having parents around. But at the same time, it was like the misbehavior of not ha or, you know, wanting to have your parents around. So you misbehave. But um, with school, when I went to school, it was just, well, before my, you know, schooling experience, what had happened that I guess kind of wired me into the person that I am looking back now was um, Liberia as a country went through a civil war in the 90s. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was really kind of culturally shocking. But that was when like, my mom was like a teenager and all of that. So that affected her generation. And then I was born and uh, the last civil war happened in 2003. Yeah, I believe 2003. And so like, this is how I remember this day. I uh, came from school, I was, you know, at the time I was on my grandmother and grand grandpa's property. And it was a it was a fence property and it had like multiple buildings and in the front it was a storefront that another people were renting and it was like a food shop or whatever and then to the left there was you could see you know the inside of you know the space and things but i was hanging out right in front of it, it was a city compound so it wasn't like a yard once you get out the out the, yeah. you know, the gate you're on the sidewalk and then it's the street so I was right on there. I remember I was with my little cousin and we, we saw people like running and stuff like that. And they had like clothes and things and like bags and, and they kept like shouting about rebels and things. And, and next thing you know, we started hearing gunshots and I was about like six years old and six or seven. And things quickly changed and it got real crazy. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, people try to like break into our house and, you know, like rape some uh, somewhere like my aunts and things it was all crazy scenario just being a kid just just caring about stuff like that and, and being in the mix of it um was just yeah. kind of nuts to me um but you know eventually that kind of um died down it was uh i don't know if you heard about the the quote-unquote liberia dictator charles taylor um that was doing his time in liberia when he was funny enough he was educated in the united states put into yeah. place by you know who um as a president who it, it was weird because like if you look back at history educating united states united states politics um overthrown uh, a native president who was a native of liberia and um the presidency like everywhere else in the democracy is four years immediately extended it to six years so he served 12 years in office and then that was when yeah. it started. But um, but the main thing, again, educated in the United States and weapons that were provided were not made in quote unquote Liberia. So, yeah. you know, go, yeah. go do your research. Um, but yeah. that dynamic was like when I was younger. And then so schooling, when, you know, I was in school, um, I want to say fifth grade. I was, I was like a straight A student after fifth grade. And then school just wasn't school no more. Um, yeah. But I, I, that was when I started drinking uh, when I was in the fifth grade, super young. Um, yeah. 
yeah <laughs> it was just like uh, yeah it was mad young dude mad young it was fifth grade was like it wasn't like drinking drinking it was just like you know testing it out and you burn your yeah. chest and then you don't try for like maybe two months or so um but then when i got into sixth and seventh grade was was really when i was about to probably get crazy it was when i met my friends quote unquote, who I thought were my friends, but there I met, you know, that group of people that you have, you know, things in common with. And um, we would skip school, go to the beach. All, it, it was like a whole planned out, like, like we had like groups of people, we rotate, you know, if there's groups yeah. in school, they take notes and, you know, keep up with the happenings. And then we skip school, go to the beach or the park. And they used to send like teachers after us to the park to come and get us. And that wasn't gonna work, <laughs> but. Yeah. Uh, we figured out the, so with the school, they did attendance in the mornings and we'll, we'll be in school for first period where you get roll call and all of that. So our, our homeroom professor or teacher, we have a count of us being in school and that's all that matters. That went to the, to the, the principal for record keeping or whoever that, that records that. And then doing the transition, we, we would dip out of there, but it was crazy thinking about it. Like when I was in sixth and seventh grade, was mainly seventh grade was when I really got into it. Um, was even like the the security dude, like we would take our you know recess money or whatever, put it together and hand him a little yeah. cash, and you just open the gate and we walk out. And yeah. uh, so it was like it was crazy, but I I started getting into that like, but me personally, I was around everyone. Like I went to school, yeah. went to school with people who who had kids, who. But for me, I was young and hanging out with older people. So they had a couple years on me. But it was like, yeah. you know, like parents or they're, you know, we're actually like smoking cigarettes, which the one thing my grandmother was like, you can't smoke because she, she smoked cigarettes and told me all these stories. So as a person, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, yeah. But um, I had friends like that and I had friends who, were, you know, who were smoking weed at the time. But those were just stuff like that. The same kind of pushy to me. And I was like, yeah, I can't really do all of those as of now, but just as a person, I was around everyone, just literally everyone. I went to school with, and we weren't like friends, but I went to school with people I knew would eye you up in school and then rob you on your way home and then yeah. bring your stuff to school the following week and be rocking it in your face and there's nothing you can yeah. say about it. And so like I, under, I, at a young age, I had to learn to be with those people and you know be comfortable around those people. But at the same time, at a young age, I was I never shy away from a situation. Um, so like that whole dynamic just it was just you know kind of clashing, but at, at a young age I had to learn to how to understand or see see the 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 the, the human the humanity in people, regardless of yeah. what he was doing. And so I connected with people that way. Um yeah. but um luckily for me, actually when I came to the United States, I remember when I was in college, my sophomore year, one of the toughest years for me as a person was like, so I had come back from this like soccer injuries and um, I had um, torn my uh, quad. And so I was out that year. But before that, I, I had had a surgery on my fibula and was out for yeah. my junior and senior year in high school. And then freshman year in college, coach was a total asshole and recruited me to play. And then was like, dude, <laughs> I actually recruited too many people, so I'm cutting you. And I was like, Wow. And that was at Marywood? That was at Marywood. Yeah. <laughs> at Marywood. 
And so then I joined the track team at Merriwood, so that provided some sanity and whatnot. Yeah. But when my sophomore year came around, I was, um, I was like, I was, I, that was when I was getting back on the soccer team. And I hadn't played soccer, like, in a competitive sense for about three years. So form-wise, I wasn't used to what I thought I was. So that was frustrating. Mm -hmm. And then um, education-wise, I was doing the art, the art show and things like that. That was providing some sanity, but it was so much, you know, movement parts um, that was happening. Um, and then, um, but just like as what I thought the sophomore year was going to be, it was not what it was. And I slowly was feeling depressed and all of that. And, and I remember, like, the coach has been an asshole to me that year, too, um, just because he was like, uh, you know, just extra rep or whatever is going to get you to improve. And I'm like, and I knew it was going to, the improvement was going to come with time just yeah. because of, you know, what I know my caliber to be and what I'm capable of. And, but, you know, he didn't understand that. So that was kind of getting to me in a little bit. And uh, I remember one time I get a call from my grandmother and she was like, yeah. Um, and this was kind of building up. I get like a first call. She's like, yeah, one of your friend, um, uh, it's funny because I actually forget his name, but I remember his nickname. We call him uh, Terrain because he was just all over. And uh, and she was like, yeah, he passed away. Um, yeah. Like recklessly driving the motorcycle and and that was the end of him. But like, that was like the thing about it. I was, if I was there, I was doing the same thing with these people. Yeah. And, um, and then another call, she's like, uh, your, your, your best friend who's, who's literally next to, it's like our property. Um, my grandmother have a like a lot and then another lot is another house and so it's just like yo you know next door neighbor uh, Monroe um, actually in rehab for drugs right now and yeah. I'm like oh so that you know mentally I'm like yeah I'm like this is getting serious and, yeah. and then you know she's like so I call and I check on him she's like yeah he's doing okay but he's you know he's good and, but this this was this was my my homie like you if you saw me you saw him that was how yeah. close we were. So like yeah. anything he would be doing, I knew about it. And anything I'll be doing, he knew about it. So like when I, when we, when I moved and came over here, that disconnect started to happen. And so like hearing stories, that was when I started to literally look at like a mirror of what I was doing to myself, you know? Um, and she's like, yeah, um, he got out of, out of rehab. He's kind of stable. And, and then I get a call again. She's like, yeah, um, yeah, he's not stable as we thought. He uh, randomly was chasing his parents in the house um, with a knife and tried to kill them. And this is this is like a, a four bedroom house. You know, I, I've been in the house, so I, I know the house is not that big. So I'm like, damn, you know, like I'm laughing, yeah. but like this is serious. And I'm yeah. like, in my head, I'm like, you know, like like this this person that I knew is not who you know I'm hearing about no more. And I'm trying, mm -hmm. I'm not saying how like people change based on you know however way if you're not attentive to what you're doing to yourself how it could go and and the the most recent story i heard about him was they they, they had to transfer him he actually went to rehab in south africa and then came back to west africa and then went off the rail again and so he's he's now in china um hopefully doing better but last i heard he was doing good in china um yeah not there for school and not rehab so yeah um Hopefully he's learning to speak Chinese and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> help me out next next time. 
but just thinking of that dynamic and, and understanding that easily could have bet me. Um, and, you know, him and I did a lot of other things together. But um, the one that really hit me was sophomore year with, you know, what I talked to you about with schooling not going right, um, my grades and all my gen nuts was dropping. And personally, I didn't care. I was like, if the art is good, you know, after gen nuts. But, you know, you're not supposed to be thinking that. It's just when you're not thinking clearly, you never, you don't know. Um, and then I remember I was, I was in, I got back from one of these tough soccer practices. Well, it was before the practice. Um, my, uh, my, uh, my grandma called, she's like, your, your, your friend, uh, Sonny, um, passed away. And she was like, yeah, Sonny, uh, Sonny, Sonny was this kid who was, um, he was our, like, uh, he wasn't like white, but he was like mixed. So he he was like a pretty boy in our group and like everybody, you know, messed with him. Um, but he, as a person, he was just chill. Like his mom, his mom was, a, you know, basically like someone of European descent, but you know, she was like an elegant, respectable woman. And then his dad had a roofing company. And so like, basically these people were the closest thing to like a millionaire in, in a sense where we, everyone knew they had money. And they had yeah. family, and then he had brothers um, as well. His older brothers were like actual gangsters, but they were like, they were like so chill. Like you would see them like a regular person, but you would hear stories about them doing X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. Man, but like Sonny was never kind of in, into that. Um, him and I connected on soccer and we played soccer and that was how we developed our friendship. And, and, and that was kind of like, really heartbroken when I heard about him because like I, I didn't even know that I was going to be as affected when I heard but it was just one of them things that put you over the edge and so later that day I'm like, we got soccer practice I'm gonna get there and you know clear my head and whatnot and and so I get to soccer practice and for some reason the coach is literally being the biggest asshole he can be that day and mm -hmm. We are, it was like a night practice, probably at like 9.30 or whatever. And you know how Scranton gets once the sun is in there, degrees is like 20 degrees, like cooler for, for no reason. And it's cold. We, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's cold. For like, just if the sun is up, it's extra hot. If the sun goes away, it's extra cold. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, so we had night practice and this is a practice that's about two and a half to three hours where you do, you know, the warm ups. You do conditioning maybe or – and then we do, like, you know, small practice games. And then the coach is like, yo, Manny, why don't you uh, – I guess probably I wasn't, you know, probably playing as best as I could with, you know, what was in my head and whatnot. We was like, Manny, why don't you uh, – once we created, like, the smaller practice teams, like, Manny, why don't you uh, stand on the sideline? I'll get you later. So I'm like, okay, you know, it's probably best. And I'm juggling on the sideline. And literally, I'm there for the entire practice for, like, almost, like, two hours. And yeah. and at the end, he's like, oh, dude, my bad. I'm like, what? Like, yeah. bad? Like, that's all you have to say about that? So, but yeah. when I, I remember I went back to my dorm, and um, I felt, like, this level of depression for, like, the first time in my life. And, like, I remember I shut my dorm and immediately, like, started crying and, and like, like folded in, like, a fetal position. And, and there was, like, all these emotions thinking about my life and, and, you know, art and, and, you know, friends and just a bunch of stuff. And I called my mom and we was chatting a little bit. Um, and she was like, are you, are you suicidal? I'm like, no, I'm good, mom. She's like, ah, 
it, it's such a it's such a thing when you in in the black community when you talk about things like this. And she was yeah. like, but you know, for me, I'm I'm gonna talk about whatever on my mind. But it was one of them points where I needed to talk to someone. You know, that was the first time I felt that. Um, and so we talking. And I remember um, afterwards, I'm like sleeping. Cause I didn't even do anything after I chatted with her. I think I probably just was in my room and went to bed and, uh, and I probably, I put my phone in airplane mode and all of that. And I remember it's like three, four in the morning. I'm, I'm sleeping and security is like, do, do, do. And I wake up, I'm like, who the hell is that? Banging on my door. <laughs> and I open the doors, campus safety. They're like, Oh my God. You're alive. We got a phone call. Yeah, your mom been trying yeah, to call you. Yeah, man, that's cold. <laughs> Yo. I was like, oh. yeah, yeah, I'm alive. My, I, I hit her yeah, up man. more. <laughs> yeah. um, oh. it, it was one of them scenarios where literally, you know, like, like I knew, like, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be able to, like, talk to people who are going through worse things because it's like, emotionally like whatever you're thinking 99.9 percent .9 of the time it's not the right answers but right. like your brain and everything else just it kind of processes it and you go through all of this thing and you're like okay this is where i need to be this is what i need to do and until you talk to someone or you know step outside of that you can yeah. never actually understand that you were 100 in the wrong you know yeah and i um I was just literally, I mean, I was just having this conversation with a, uh, with like a buddy of mine the other day. And like, he's like going through like a lot of life changes. He's like getting ready to leave a career, um, and pick up and like, you know, go. And, um, you know, we were talking and I said, I was like, you know, not that your feelings aren't valid and they need to be like recognized, but also too, like, you know, oftentimes like feelings aren't facts, you know? Um, and like when that mix up, like, I mean, everybody plays into that, you know what I mean? Everybody plays into like, oh, I feel this way. So, but if we really like, I don't know, take a step back and like, like look at things or I don't know. I think that's really where like gratitude comes into play, right. but it's so, it's so, it's so difficult. And colleges now, like I was just listening, like we were down in Charlotte last night for dinner and um, it's like a 45 minute drive and we'll like pop on NPR, but there's like uh um, students out at UNC Chapel Hill, the University of North Carolina, um, they, they were having like a wellness week or something like that, or like a wellness day for students. And like, I think like, like, like mental health, um, in general, isn't like right. talked about among, um, students here in the United States. Like, I think it's like such an issue, um, you know, and like, depending obviously on personal experience, like the guy at Marywood, dude, like, like I was really like in the thick of things. Like I was like knee deep in like, uh, I don't know. I was probably had like, you know, an 80 to a hundred dollar a day heroin habit. Um, you know, at the, like right before I like took a step back from, from Marywood, um, for a little bit to like, kind of, like I said, like run my life into the ground and then, um, <laughs> pick it up again you know but I dude I stumbled in it was like it was such a mistake and it was so selfish but um I stumbled into the psychology department down at Marywood where they like offer counseling for like students you know it's like oh my yeah. god you know? like oh man like like schools really like like you know a huge weight on my shoulders like you know I'm having issues or whatever and then literally like I go in there and I sit down with a graduate student who is doing like 
like counseling or whatever for students at Marywood, you know? And I like sit and I just unload on this graduate student. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I can't stop shooting heroin. You know, I'm dying. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to live like all this and not to like discredit that or like, you know, because it's not really funny, but like looking back on it, like I remember the girl was like, hold on a second. And she like got up and like left the room um, to like go grab somebody who like maybe could help me. Yeah. And like, I waited there for a minute or whatever. And I got up and left. And then a, like a couple of weeks later, we got a phone, like I got a phone call and it was like, and it was like, Hey, you know, we just wanted to make sure you're okay. Like, <laughs> or whatever. And I was like, Oh wow. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not okay, but I'm not coming back there. You know? So, yeah. yeah it's, it was, it's, it's, once you step out and like, cause you need to like, um, like get outside of your head. Like when you build stuff in your head is so like, so crazy even like even like even like like talking to a girl or something you like build up this image in your head and then it's crazy to walk up to it but it's like kind of yeah, yeah on that's more on a more personal though it's kind of like the same thing where you build up the scenario of what is or you know all the things that you kind of messed up already and you like eh, you know is it worth me trying to fix or, or you know and, and trying to put myself to that but then at the same time there's you know there's probably little to no belief in self at that yeah. point so like it's always really hard but i yeah. i think like like talking to people is it's more of like hearing yourself out loud that Absolutely. makes you kind of you know like he's like oh am i really this person that you like because internally everyone you have thoughts that you go through but not all of them make it out vocally or verbally and so yeah. once you start to you know like acknowledge where you are and then be direct about it it's like okay am i really you know this person who was saying all of this stuff and and, and these things but yeah i was i watched the it's like um thr the i don't know something round table um with a bunch of actors yeah i think it's called thr I'm not going to remember the name, but it's a round table of actors and they do, they can all talk about their movies and their process and things. Yeah. But one thing I took about it, like took about, took away from it was the actors were talking about how they're able to emotionally display um, uh, their emotions on screen or, you know, at will, uh, like a crying scene or being able to tap in if they hear like a death news or something. And they were talking about that, like you said something about like something about like your emotions are facts or something like that oh feelings aren't facts yeah feelings aren't facts um they said something about if you're feeling the emotions you're feeling it's not really so much that they are validated or invalidated it's that mm -hmm. your body um, responds to emotions so if yeah. you're able to tap into the emotions then your body is just going to display whatever you know emotion you're feeling and i was yeah. like it's very interesting with if yeah. you think about things on a larger scale where if you're depressed, that's what your body's feeling. So you, you keep, you know, expanding on that one emotion over and over. And that's what depression is. It's so much yeah. like fear, anxiety, and all of that that you keep, you know, expanding on that eventually turns into depression because you're like, you know, a lot more deep into it. And I was thinking about it and I was like, that makes a lot more sense um, as far as just, you know, taking the, taking the concept of, you know, how actors are able to tap into those emotions. I was like, on a human level, that makes so much sense because um, even like sitting here, like we're chatting now, we've kind of, you know, laughed and talked about serious stuff. 
they're all emotions and we can try and sustain one particular subject for as long as we can. And, you know, emotionally we will feel different if, you know, if we were talking about a different subject. So I, yeah. I try to think about that on a much broader um, scale, but that has helped me in terms of I me mean, recognizing what I'm feeling emotionally and being like, okay, um, what, what can I do? Can I go for a walk? Um, like I live by, I live in East Falls in Philly by a Kelly drive. Um, yeah. So I'm yeah. like, I don't know, like five minutes away from the art museum. So you got uh-huh. the whole, like school Cove river kind of, yeah. so I, I take advantage of that. And like, I walk and, you know, hit up buddies from time to time. But all, what it does is just, I notice that all it does is just, it gets me out of my head. That that's the main thing is it gets me out of my head and I'm able to, you know, just let the brain do subconsciously what the brain does and, you know, decipher some of those informations and things that we were saying are not always true. But because yeah. you're so focused on it, it becomes true. It becomes an identity and yeah. it becomes that emotion and you feel it all the time. Yeah. But I want to talk to you about, uh, um, do you have any routines or a go-to that you um, use to improve your energy and focus? Oh man. Um, I'm going to sound like such a, I don't even know, but like I do, I do CrossFit. (laughs) (laughs) Do I do CrossFit? I didn't know that. Like actual, or is it like, yeah, like I, yeah, like actually CrossFit. So like I, so like, so like when I was at, when I was at Marywood, when I was an undergrad, um, like I actually like started going to um just like planet fitness then and then um me and a couple of like my friends at marywood like we started playing hockey so like it was like like ice hockey down at revolution ice down in um pittston pennsylvania um and we had a team and we were playing like beer league um we started off in like c division and then we moved up to like a b um so it was like Mm -hmm. a lot more challenging but it was like something to like really look forward to outside of like like it was like like okay this is my thing outside of the arts okay like outside like this is my this is my thing right it's like i compare to soccer for me yeah so like and that's one of the things like too like i'll like every now and then like i might post something on like instagram like on an instagram story or whatever but like for the most part like i keep it like that's that's my thing you know that isn't for anybody else like i need this for me you know and like um you're a flyers fan i am a flyers fan no, Big so, Flyers. Fan. I am a Flyers fan, but I don't. Yeah. I don't watch hockey as much. But I support yeah. them on the side. <laughs> dude, dude, you should go to a game, dude. Yeah, I, so, I, I love hockey because I yeah. feel like it's so parallel to soccer, except you yeah, have inside of your foot. Absolutely, absolutely. But um, so when I moved to Atlanta, like I needed something. Um, I like literally like the like 2000 January. I think it was January 2016. Um, I dislocated my knee playing hockey pretty bad. Um, and like, I don't know. Um, so like in that, then like recovering from that, um, I was really like, like I started like, like doing more, um, physical activity, um, like in the gym as opposed to like playing a sport, you know? Um, and then when I moved to Atlanta, um, I found a powerlifting gym actually. And, um, I was like, like the only kid outside like it was a georgia tech um powerlifting gym um 
and I started like powerlifting. I was like, oh my God, like I love this squat bench deadlift. Like that was, it was just a room filled with like squat racks and like deadlift platforms. And that was like, like, and then I really got into like, again, so like, like I, no matter what I'm into, like I always have this idea of like, like I want to know the why, not just the how. Right. So then like I started getting into like, um, I don't know, form and mechanics and like, you know, like playing with different things, like getting into the why and like listening to podcasts about powerlifting or whatever. Um, and then when I moved to North Carolina, um, and again, like powerlifting was like always my thing in grad school. Like I'd get out of class or whatever. I'd get out of the studio um, or I'd get out of like doing whatever I do. And I would like go to the gym and I would lift um, for like an hour, two hours. And that was the first time like I had really like started like working with like programming. Um, and then um, when I moved to North Carolina, I there was a CrossFit gym right down the street from my apartment in Lexington, which is like a really like the CrossFit gym there is like really good. Like it's probably one of the best like CrossFit gyms in uh, the state of North Carolina. It's pretty rad. Um, but I was like the black sheep. Like I literally was like, Hey, like I just need a space to like power lift. Can I do this here? And the owner was like, yeah, absolutely. Like come in, like whatever. Um, and I started working with a coach, um, a powerlifting coach in, um, he's based in like upper Massachusetts or he was based in upper Massachusetts, like Northern Massachusetts. Um, Eric LaPointe, he's awesome. Um, he's like a top ranked. He's um, Eric. Eric LaPointe. Yeah. Is his name. He was like a top ranked, um, power lifter, um, in the USA powerlifting um, federation. Um, and then when COVID happened and like gyms started shutting down, I like, was like oh my god like I don't think I could like run a mile like I don't remember the last time I like <laughs> ran you know what I mean because like I've strictly been focused on like programming around like squat bench and deadlift and then um and then like when my gym opened back up um I was like hey like I'm gonna just do like a CrossFit class and see if I like it or not and I like it and I loved it and um <clears throat> So yeah, I don't know. It's just always been a thing like outside of art um, and right. outside of work that I've just always been into and that I find a lot of like, I don't know, like solace in. And, um, and again, like there's not a lot of people that know that, that like I like to like do that. But, um, and even like, like in like relating it to art, like, um, like thinking about like performance art, you know, and um, how like a lot of performance artists, I'm not sure if you like, you know, um, I don't know, it depends like what art history classes you take, but, um, like a lot of performance art is like based on like coming out of like the ideas of the myth of like Sisyphus and like rolling the boulder up the hill, you know what I'm saying? Like this menial task and like celebrating like menial physical task and, um, like just doing it just to be like the best at, or like making an effort to like better yourself, you know? Um, and so, yeah, like, like that's what it kind of always comes back to is like, oh, this idea of like, oh, like. I don't know, I go and I feel good and I feel right. And um, right. I look at it as the same way of photographing. Like if I don't go out and photograph or if I'm not like working um, right. on the book edit or if I'm not like doing something creative, like I right. get like complacent and antsy and just like, I don't know, like I need to be doing something. So yeah, um, yeah. With, I don't know. With, so it's uh, kind of like. Uh, go ahead. 
No, go ahead. My bad. Yeah, no, I was saying, even with what you were saying, like that outlet needed, I feel like that was why I broke down um, with, you know, yeah. I told you with soccer because the soccer was that thing for me. Um, it was, yeah. that, you know, that release where I would kind of just refocus or reset a little bit. Um, and the one day I needed it the most, <laughs> it was taken away from me, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But, you know, looking at it now, it was one of them things where hey, I felt like, I was probably bottling a lot of stuff up just to, you know, get by and do the tax that was on my plate. That got yeah. to the point where it was like, you got to confront this, you know, or yeah. else it might, you know, come out in different or maybe violent ways, you know, later down the road. Um, yeah. So it was, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, I'm glad I had that moment and things. Well, like and that. that too. So like, so like even thinking about that and like, let me ask you a question. Like, yeah, yeah sure. You know, like looking looking back at that experience now um you know to like where you are now it's like you know i mean i can relate it like i look back at like the person i was like i'll have i mean knock on wood you know um i'll have 10 years sober in november um, congratulations man like, that's, that's man, awesome i mean it's not you know it's not like i'm not one of those people like i don't like post my yeah, so that, I, I that, as like the reprogramming of yourself, and and yeah. so that that is a, a super inspiring and, and motivational things to hear about you because you had to reset your programming of you know who yeah. you are. So yeah, that, that is super. Like that is super dope, and you know, but I understand you know the whole thing that come with it. But you know, you you should celebrate that in, in terms of you know. Yeah, it took a lot to get to ten years. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's like, and that's what I was going to ask you. Like, I look back mm. at the person who I was 10 years ago, and literally, it's like, I'm talking about a completely different person, <laughs> you know, and it's like, because I am essentially, yeah. you know, so it's like, I mean, dealing with like, you know, the same issue in a sense of like, okay, you know, mental health and, um, you know, you looking back at, at where you were, um, you know, in that moment and like the person who you are now, like, it's like, Oh, like, do you look back and you're like, Oh, wow. Like, I can't believe like I was ever in that position or, um, you know, I'm so happy that I was in that position. And it's almost like it, it turns to like gratitude in a way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it turns to gratitude, but like, even with, um, like when COVID started and I was talking to some friends, I told them, um, like, like it, it was funny because my perspective I've always been what I thought about COVID initially, and it was as a human race we have the opportunity to just kind of reset and refocus, and yeah. why most people was you know focused on kind of just being locked in the house. I'm like, if you're fortunate enough that you could work from home, that that is a blessing because that's the only thing you have to worry about is you know income. But if you have that, then why not just work on yourself with the, the extra time of not having to commute back and forth to work or, you know, having to, you know, really prep for work or all of that. And so the, the focus on self for me from 2020 to now, I don't even got to go back to like, you know, 10, five years was 2019, that person that was, you know, running the lettering studio and doing all of that. It's such a different person now in 2021 because of that year of 2020 where I was just like like before like when I was reading books 
like when I was reading books in college, they were like, I had to read those books. Like, right. I, I, don't, remember, <laughs> I don't remember any book I, I read just for the fun when I was in college. It yeah. Was, it was like, you know, even like the design history books and all of them were just like, what do I need? What chapter do I need? I'm not going through this page by page in the English books was okay what chapter are we on and same thing and so but um as far as uh 2020 was concerned I was it was really a year that I don't know for some reason I was just focused on self and the improvement of how I could get from you know the version that I was but and get to whatever version that I needed to be on the end because you know like we were chatting early on that was when ideas of the podcast and, and other things we started to you know come about and and we were saying, you know, I wasn't comfortable in front of cameras or wanted a camera in my face or any of that. So I had to become a different person that was comfortable in this situation. Um, and, you know, so all of that was like, okay, how do I reset who I am? But I started reading a lot of books and, and a lot of like self-help books or just um, getting over fear and, and things like that. And I really kind of broke the shell that you, you wouldn't even know you have because so much of the image that you hold on to of who you know yourself to be that kind of holds you back from actually growing into the image or person you needs to be. Um, yeah. And that for me, like the person I was in college, it's hard because when I see college friends now, they always try to like, I'm, I've always been like goofy and, and, and always been an art person. And, but that's at the core, that's who I am. But as far as on a personal level, um, my perspective and how I understand things and, you know, understanding, you know, like, uh, uh, what as, as artists, what we offer society or understanding, you know, stuff like equality or, you know, gender bias and, and all that stuff. That was not information I was privy to, you know, a few years ago, or even yeah, right. if it was there, I, I was like, yeah, I'm not learning that. So like, right. you know, over the few years, looking at the individual, that is so, you know, like hooked on knowledge and just information and wanting to have other people kind of quote unquote liberate themselves in this, like this mental capacity that we are talking about. It's like, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a different person for sure. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like, because you never know, you have an idea of what you want to do, but you don't know the individual you have to become, you know, in order to do what you want to do. So. That, that for me has been like the surprising part of it, but I would say, yeah, 100% totally different. But there, there are some stuff that carries over a little bit, I would, I would say. Um, yeah, of course, of course. But yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, have, uh, I have some, uh, some rapid questions here before we wrap up, but yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your um, upcoming photography series, in, in yeah. my photography mm -hmm. series. Um, two Cardinals in the Thicket, a two-part uh, photography series exploring themes of human ecology, navigation, and how the landscape shapes its own identity. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, we were chatting earlier, I said I like the title. Why, why is it called Two Cardinals in, in the Thicket? I see an image of a, of a butterfly. Yeah, so, so, um, so the whole idea... Um, like the whole idea 
I mean, started because like I always like create work within like the environment of which I am, I guess you could say. So like I was in North Georgia or I was in Atlanta. So like I was making work in North Georgia. I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I was making work in um, Northeastern PA. You know, the New Mexico work was the only thing that was kind of like, like outside of that, you know, that was my only experience, like going into a place that I wasn't like, like readily familiar with. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I couldn't just like, like it wasn't like my environment that I was in. Um, so Two Cardinals in the Thicket is based in the Yadkin PD River Basin here in the central Piedmont region in North Carolina. Um, that's like, you know, these rules that I developed, like there's always like rules, um, you know, I stick to a location um, with all of my projects and like I create work um, in that location, about that location, I guess you could say. Um, but the, the title, Two Cardinals in the Thicket, it came from this idea um, of my grandparents, actually. Um, I remember being a kid in my grandparents' house and they would have a set of binoculars um, set at their kitchen sink window. So like the window that looked out into the backyard um, from their kitchen sink. And like they'd be washing the dishes or something. And um, like if they would see a bird or whatever, they'd pick up the binoculars and they would like look um, and see. So this like low brow, um, this lowbrow investigation or this lowbrow research um, into the world around you, you know what I'm saying? Right. Into the world around your, your um, direct environment, your readily available environment. Um, and two cardinals, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to like do with the work per se, um, but you know, two cardinals because of what the cardinal represents um, as like, like the person, like, I don't know if, if you're familiar, but like, you know, Cardinals, like, it's almost like a, like symbolic as like somebody who's died or passed away. Um, like when you see a Cardinal, like they say like, oh, it's somebody who passed away, like visiting you. Yeah. Um, so like, I thought about that and what it meant, you know, as far as like my grandparents are concerned, um, you know, so like two Cardinals, like in the thick of things, um, yeah, and how that represents like how we navigate the world. You know, we navigate the world based on like our experience and the things that we see um, and the direct environment around us. Um, so yeah, so um, that's kind of where the title came from. And then moving forward, like into the work, um, if you look, so there's like so many different themes within the work. And this was the first time that I really began to like, like like really develop some concrete rules as far as like the photographic themes I was dealing with. So the first um, we'll say, I mean, there, there's not really like a particular order, but um, you know, so the first was like, um, <clears throat> like pretty like cinematic um, landscapes, like with really like, like sunset lighting, twilight lighting. Um, and then I would like inset, a um, 35 millimeter, like really abstracted. Um, I don't know if here I can like pull it up, but uh, so. this was specifically done because you wanted to capture a look or or something for this series. Yeah. So, well, here I'll show you. So, um, can I share my screen? Can I do that? Uh, let me. Uh, yeah, you could try and see if if uh, it will ask you to get permission. Oh, it said 
It said it's disabled. Oh, my bad. All right, try, try now. Oh, cool, 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 cool. Okay. All right. So, um, so yeah, so there's the statement, you know, two cardinals in the thicket, um, and then the work. But the so like images like this, um, where you have like more of like a cinematic, almost like a movie still. This idea again, like like of how we um. I don't know how we think of place and it's almost like this romanticized idea. Um, and actually there's a photographer by the name of uh, Gregory Crudson. I kind of like, like piggyback on this idea of like um, twilight, like this time of in between, um, you know, this time of like, like being like in between public life and private life. Um, you know, but then taking the inset of this abstracted 35 millimeter, um, photograph of like trees, you know, that just becomes a blur. I'm photographing these like as I'm driving. Um, right. You know, so it's like I'm relying on like the motion of like my car, me passing through this space. And then I'm insetting it into, um, you know, these frames as almost like a piece to the puzzle. Mm. So, um, and then there's, there's this theme, um, which is another, a more conceptual take on, on how we navigate space. Um, so these are like Google, um, these are Google satellite images of, um, like dollar generals within certain rural location throughout the Yadkin PD river basin. Um, and what I did was, is I, digitally removed um any other sort of like how we navigate so like road like names um town names uh like incorporated community names um state road route numbers like anything like that and i left um the dollar general locations and their descriptions um and thinking about how like one navigate space or like putting the viewer in a position to navigate space with limited resources yeah this this got me thinking like navigating without gps which is right to do nowadays right yeah yeah we live on we, we live on ways and like google maps yeah, we gotta use our brains more yeah so i can't well, also i mean now I, I can't even process how people were driving and looking at those paper maps it seems yeah like looking at a map yeah, my, I was out photographing up in Northeastern Pennsylvania, like last winter and my phone died. And like, I had like a, I don't know, the charger thing on my phone was messed up or whatever. And I was like, out, dude, like I was like out and like, uh, like, I don't know if you're familiar, like Nescpec, um, out towards like Mahanoy city down 81, like literally like in the, really like in the thick of like coal country, Shenandoah. Um, I was out there photographing and like, I literally had to use an atlas that I had under the seat in my truck. And like, <laughs> like I was like, like I, it took, like I had to pull over and I was like, Oh my God, like, where am I? Okay. Like, so yeah, it was, it was a cool experience though. I was like, Oh my God, like I should like put myself. I'm glad you had one in the car. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I was so stoked that I did. Otherwise I, would, I might still be lost today. <laughs> But um, also too, the use of the flash. So, or, well, we can talk about, um, you know, these, so like a more, so like on, so like those screen grabs from, um, of the dollar generals, like this is a pretty like macro scale of like navigation, you know? Um, like we're looking at like a wide area here. Um, 
where like the flowers then, which also play into the photographs um, of the closer uh, interactions with the human element. Um, these are for the most part like wildflowers as they grow um, here and are like native to the region here in North Carolina. Like this is called a swamp milkweed. Um, you know, so just like, again, like speaking to like that lowbrow investigation, um, similar to like, you know, my grandparents looking to see like what, what, um, you know, what else exists around them and their location, you know, like looking at birds or looking at plants or whatever. Um, but this really becomes like an intimate moment, I guess you could say. Um, it's a lot slower, a lot less busy. Um, again, you know, using that that um, like twilight lighting. And then to have these like interactions with people and, and within photo history, we learn about the use of flash um, as like this really aggressive manner of photographing, um, you know, blasting a subject with flash. It, it does become like, you know, an aggressive um, way of taking a picture and reading into a picture, but like, you know, I, I'm trying to like unwind that in a way and I'm not, and really I think this is like a like a you know I'm not necessarily you know 100 I mean sure. with, with, with looking at this the flash almost becomes like uh implied focal point exactly uh, so where, like separating go yeah so separating so separating the the background from the subject okay like making an effort to like to only focus on the, the human interaction, you know, not the world around, you know, only focus on like this. And this was something like I had never really done before. Like I had never really worked close with the human element in any of my work before. Like you would look at that work um, in New Mexico and most of the human element was like across the street. It was far away. Um, so this, I really wanted to set out and like, like change the way that I was working. Like I really wanted like a fresh perspective and like challenge myself um, in a way to like, cause like, you know, the work in, the work in Northeastern Pennsylvania, the work in North Georgia and the work in, um, in New Mexico was really like relatable, I think between each series. Like it was like, they all shared like very common characteristics where this, like I really was like, sick of working the same way that I had been working for years, you know? So like, I really wanted to like try and do something different. Um, and I wanted to move closer and I wanted to use, um, tools that I had never used before, like the use of the flash or the use of new media. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of the, the, that point. Um, and also too, like, again, like speaking on the theme of navigation, like, like down market graffiti or like arbor glyphs. So like tree carvings and how um, we navigate space, um, you know, given these, like, you know, this certain, um, you know, language that we feel is like permanent and we assign value to. Um, like, I love the idea, and this is going to sound like so completely ridiculous, but I love the idea of like, you know, Cause we think about like the human instinctual need to like make a mark. Like it's been something that's been like right. thought about in art for like ever. I was, you know? I was, I was here. Kind yeah. Of. Cave drawings. Like, you know, so like, I'm so interested. Like, I love this idea that like somebody feels the need to go into, you know, a truck stop bathroom and like carve smoke <laughs> meth into like, <laughs> like into the bathroom stall. Like, I love that. Like, I love that idea of like, Oh, what overcomes a person to like, 
to make that mark, you know, but like now, yeah, that's funny and all, but like, what about like a more intimate, you know, showing and, and this, this one, um, this is written on a rock at a, at a little river park, um, north of my house about like 20 or 30 miles along, um, the Yadkin river. Um, but so there's that one. And then, um, towards the end, the the river had begun to wash it off so again wow. so like so like how how this space and how like like we formulate language and we formulate like it's always changing you know um and again so like this idea of like the rock it, it would be nice to see those two photos next to one another yeah so so when you see it like when it's when i mean this is just yeah. an example like of how it exists in the gallery space so like the the um the maps of the dollar generals are like projected on the wall. Um, and then, you know, there's different sizes depending on the theme. So like the flowers are framed at, um, I think like, like 12 by 17 or something like that. Um, and then the, the uh, graffiti and the, um, yeah, the graffiti's framed at like, I wanna say like five by nine, something like that. Um, so yeah, they're small. Part two, desegregation. Um, what I was doing um, was, you know, I really got into like, like, like theory about the South, you know, cause like no matter what, um, you know, no matter what you do, um, you can't get away from the history of the Southern United States. Um, and I think it's something that like needs to be explored. Um, it's the it's the history of you know the U.S. in general. I think absolutely. I think the divide is what is is what making having people have to have to choose. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And we think about like so like Black Reconstruction and here in North Carolina, like when when um, you know slaves began forming, freed slaves began forming their own communities. Um, it kind of like set the structure um, for how communities um, and towns are divided currently today. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, again, like not necessarily thinking directly about like, like how terrible, um, you know, segregation was or how terrible, like. I, like I just have to say, um, sorry to jump in, but it, is the <laughs> image, did you, those squares, did you put those in or those part of it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so these are digital collages. Okay. Oh, these, these are collages. Um, so this, these two squares, just specifically for this image. So like these two squares are um, like a holiday Christmas play um, at a black segregated school. And then this was the holiday Christmas play at like the white segregated school. So like Got combining, it. combining the two and like desegregating the spaces. Um, and it's just, it's just like a research. So, so I'm pulling from, um, high schools, segregated high schools throughout the Yadkin PD River Basin, the base or like, you know, the area, the region that I'm working in um, from the 1950s. So like I chose uh, the era of the 1950s because it was like, you know, this was like the period, like the last, like, like this was really when, um, you know, you started to begin to see um, like, desegregation become like enter into the conversation within the school system within the public school system um and it's crazy right. because that like, was that was know, in the 60s right 
that, yeah, that. So that was that was the 60s so this was like the last era like and right. it's 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 wild because like you'll see like um or this was like the last like period of time that this like really yeah, existed that, that like, last decade yeah so, so we um so at my at my college we got like a grant project um to do a uh it's like public public installation um so we went around and we recorded like all these stories and we still are recording all these stories from people um around Rowan County it's this county um here where Salisbury North Carolina is um and you know we interviewed so many people who um you know had been in segregated schools or were in, students in segregated high schools that then had desegregated. Um, two friends actually we interviewed. Um, they became friends. One was white and one was black um, when the schools combined, you know. Right. Um, so yeah, so like thinking about what that represents to this area um, and that was kind of like a pivotal point um, for this region. Um, so yeah, so um, what I'm doing is, is I'm going through um, various yearbooks and I'm not focusing on like I'm focusing more so on um, or I'm making an effort to focus more so on like these moments that that hopefully end up questioning having the viewer question like well how does not even just racial segregation but how does class segregation still exist today especially within like rural areas outside of cities um, in all across the United States. Dude, this is this is an awesome project, man. Like, Thanks. It's really dope. Plus, you know, when we started the the podcast, we were talking we were talking about you know like in terms of creatives and all the stuff that we think about that your average person, you know, is not thinking about in terms of society and and, and functions. And even with this, you're not even thinking about, or you know, you are thinking about what's happening now, but you're trying to go to the root of it. Um, yeah. And, and try to, you know, not because you can't undo it. You can't, you don't have the luxury to go back in time. No one does, but, you know, present the story in a much different light. Um, yeah. Which, which is, you know, kind of how, you know, we are all doing it now with what we know and trying to, you know, present ourselves and the stories in a different light. But I think historically seeing people kind of see, like for example, the photos you're combining, different photos, and they necessarily wouldn't have been photographed in the same room specifically. But yeah. with time now and seeing people look at that, it's like yeah. it's it's not so bad, you know. Yeah. It's like it's like oh, like you could almost see kind of the ignorance in in the fact that these schools were segregated or you know these events were you know segregated. But even with that holiday one you showed. Um, they're probably celebrating the same thing and you know probably similar beliefs and things but because of the yeah. system and all of that it things went down differently so to see it in a historical context um yeah with you know these things kind of juxtaposed to one another literally in the mix of it or at at, at times adding to the the image is you know it's it's kind of historically it gets you thinking and you think about some things but it's also nice to see because you, you get that feeling it's not as bad, like we've been kind of chatting about, it's not as bad as, you know, it's actually been made out to be, yeah. as far as, you know, what if this was actually happened in the time that it happened in, it probably wouldn't have been that bad, you know, just thinking about it, but 
you know, society then was different. Um, yeah. But I think yeah. people seeing this will will help them understand the importance of, you know, this collaborative um, approach to society and how we live our day-to-day lives. Yeah. So, and that too, so like thinking about the image, like, like from a, like a point of like photography criticism, I guess you could say, like, like, um, like how can we read into images? How can we read into a narrative? Um, like how can we, um, there's one here, like about how, like, you know, throughout history, like the, almost like, you know, this level of like segregation has always been like in the court of, you know, the, like the white system, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's always like, almost like existed as like white entertainment in a way. Right. Um, so it's like, yeah. So like trying to like unravel that, but also too, like not telling the viewer what to think, mm. like, right. I, like allowing the viewer to try and develop conclusions for themselves. Um, for the most part, like, um, yeah. So being able to like read into narratives of like what's happening um, within the collages, you know, this one, like, I love this one of the basketball court, you know, um, because here it's like, you know, you have the, like the, the, the white athlete um, reaching and striving for something more, um, you know, out of this, out of this group. But also too, if you look like, and Michael Jordan's from, North Carolina, you know, and went to, yeah. went to UNC. Yeah. So like, like right. bringing that mm. into the, you know, um, so yeah. Mm. Awesome, awesome series, dude. Um, for people who are watching and would like to, you know, learn more about you as a photographer or about the series, um, where could it, where could it find this? Uh, you can find it on my website. Um, Parker Renneker, P A R K E R r-e-i-n-e-c-k-e-r photo.com um and yeah so i just have the yeah i have both parts here um i have like my previous projects under like archive projects just because like i don't know like i like to kind of keep a focus on like what i'm working now what i'm working on now um so yeah so you know there's the statement with the work um then part one part two so yeah, yeah i'm looking i'm looking forward to reading like reading the statement looking more into like the rest of the series now that you and I have chatted and I have a little bit more of a background on it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm a, I'm in the, I'm in the process of, um, so like I have a dummy book edit put together. Um, you know, like I'm such a lover of photography books and you ask me, you're like, Oh, like what books are you looking at? You know, like I'm constantly looking at, um, photography books. And even now, like thinking about this work, um, like, I don't know, like I'm always like reading or like listening to something. I'm, and currently right now I'm listening to uh, the, the audio book, like when I drive of um, um, Angela Davis's uh, Freedom is a Constant Struggle. It's like a collection of like some of her more recent essays and, um, and like speeches and stuff she's done. Um, but it talks about, you know, similar to what we were talking about or what you had brought up and read into the work about like, like how we as a society, we tend to like individualize problems. So it was right. like, I mean, you, you even look at like George Floyd Okay, you look at like what happened and it was like, oh, like, let's prosecute Derek Chauvin. Like Derek Chauvin is the problem, you know, like, like when like really like, you know, yeah, Derek Chauvin like sucks, you know, but like, but there's a bigger issue like in policing and in the way that the system 
has been set up. So it's like, how could, how, how can we tackle like, yeah, it's like the, this, this, the, this, the system that allowed Derek to do what he did. So absolutely. You, you got absolutely. You gotta definitely point finger there. Um, but it's the same. And you know, our time is, you know, towards the end, but don't want to kind of open yeah, my bad. hand, but it's like, um, no, it's all good. Um, Eventually, probably this would be like a two-part series we, or a two-part episode, which is dope. Um, because, you know. Yeah, we talked for a while. Yeah. I can't more, believe it. <laughs> more more, <laughs> more, more, more playtime on my end, hopefully, because, you know, we've been chatting about real tough and, and uh, you know, you've been dropping some real gems as well. Um, but um, I was going to say, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, actually, it came back. I was going to say, um, we were just talking about, you know, kind of, not really tackling a problem, but also um, something Jay-Z described a while ago as like spraying a trash can with a perfume, which I thought was a perfect description. Um, yeah. You're not really, you know, taking out the trash or even, you know, doing anything. You're just hoping to yeah. smell better. And that's going to go away because it's temporary. But I see yeah. the same thing with, um, with like climate control and all of those things, where it's like um, in terms of pollution and all of that, you still have these businesses who are still using the same resources and, you know, same thing that did that. And that's, but when you, in a societal level, there's a lot more pressure on individuals to be like, Oh my God, why are you doubling your plastic bags? Right. Uh, What's the, what company made these plastic bags? Talk to them. Um, But you know what I'm saying? People are going to use what they're provided with. It's not, you can't point finger at the people. You got to go through the system that is providing these things that that's the whole language it's so funny how like i mean even think about that like from the beginning like like the language formulated around like the issue of of recycling and whatever has always been on the responsibility of the consumer when like it never should be now never exactly never should be because that if you think about it that is the very end of that cycle absolutely Uh, and so well the end of that first phase of the cycle and then you have the a- afterlife of you know the product but you know that end of that first phase you're just literally you have no involvement in the creation of whoever's scouting the rubber tree to process that rubber to you know ship it and the inking or or the distribution of those plastic bags your only interaction is when you check out is yeah. that's your interaction when you check out and go to your car and that's that's when you're involved with the bags. So when you think about the system and, and, and all of that, it's not really designed for it to be fixed either. You know, yeah. if, if you think about it, it's not like it's, it's designed so that it's, it's so weird because I, I feel like people are at the root of it all. And the people say like system and all of that. People work in the system. It's all humans. Even yeah, with policing, yeah. it's still humans. There are police. It's not like yeah. cops aren't like, you know, other people than humans they're humans they have human feelings and it's still you know it's a human thing that we need to address but that's literally my one of my one of my close friends in atlanta um daniel edwards he's a photographer he's actually a fireman now um in atlanta in the city i did one of the recommendations you recommended yeah daniel yeah daniel's daniel's great so daniel um he did a project um so he was raised by two police officers, um, two black police officers. Um, and then Daniel, like moving to Atlanta and being like such an advocate and an activist um, that he is, um, you know, he really began to like 
question his relationship. Well, hey, like, you know, I definitely believe in like these causes and like, you know, this point of activism, um, you know, with the reformation of the policing system, you know. Um, but like, I am also like the, the son of, right. you know, two people who my entire life have like upheld laws and like made an effort to like police those laws. And um, so like he really like, and this is again, back to our first conversation about the art classroom, you know? So he really like set out to like challenge his own viewpoint and he began photographing black Atlanta police officers um, in and outside of uniform, you know, this idea of like, right. oh, these two, these two different personalities existing within one. Um, the, the name of the project was called Black Outline Blue. Um, mm -hmm. I love that project. It was featured in the New York Times and um, it really gained a lot of ground. But yeah, and I mean, even then, like Daniel, you know, he created that work and he was like, you know what, like, like, I want to be a part of this emergency response, you know, so he, he went to fire school after graduate school. It was really really cool to see he's a great he's a great dude um yeah, really special dude really killer work so yeah. that's that's like that's crazy i definitely would have to look at that um yeah uh black outline blue um, yeah but yeah you know in terms of like we were saying those things are when you when you when you're when you're able to you know see what society has given you and and be like is, is this for me or you know how can i question what is given to me but as artists being able to channel that into your own personal thing and have that come yeah. out in your craft. That's such a, that's such a, a thing. It's not even like a skill set. It's such a, some sacred in a way that Absolutely. most people don't understand that whole process. Um, but yeah. we're going to wrap up and uh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's funny too, because when you have a student who does it, you know, and then it's like, they make, they make a project or they make a series of work that like they did tap into like something that's close to them and they, right. they did it in a way. It's like, you see lights come on. And yeah, it's like, exactly. it's a magical experience, you know, where they're like, holy crap, you know, like my experience is, is valid and, and yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But yeah, my <laughs> bad. Yeah. Let's, let's wrap it up. Dumb naked and broke. Uh, welcome back. Chatting with Parker Renneker. Uh, full-time photographer and documentary, a uh, full-time educator and documentary photographer, also a full-time photographer as well. Yeah. So it works out. Um, but I have some uh, rapid questions here before we wrap up. Um, imagine you no longer have to work. How would your typical day be like? Oh, man. I don't know. I'd probably buy like a dirt bike or something. <laughs> ATV? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do something like that. You know, I don't know. No, I'd probably like spend it with my dogs and my wife. Just chill. Uh, how many dogs you got? Uh, we have two. Uh, not, not bad. Yeah. What, what kind of dogs? Uh, we have like a white German Shepherd and a Newfoundland. So it's like 300 pounds of dog that both sleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, imagine never hearing music again or losing your ability to read. What would you choose? never hear music or oh, lose your ability to read yeah lose my ability to read i need to hear music <laughs> I <need> music <laughs> you can only eat one food again for the rest of your life what would it be i'm from i mean northeastern pennsylvania i'm pizza man pizza uh, speaking of pizza do you fold your pizza when you eat it it depends it depends on the it depends on the 
It depends on the it depends on the the tray. Uh-huh. <laughs> tray in Northeast. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. One last question. Um. What is a lesson or lessons you felt like you learned a little too late in life? Um. That. A, well, can I answer this in two parts, A and B? Yeah, sure. A, that, you know, it doesn't, like, the weight that you put in the basket of what other people think mm-hmm. is not, like, fact at all. Like, yeah. like, as long as you are staying in your lane and you believe in what you're doing, then by all means. Now, I think, like, criticism is beyond important and, like, receiving criticism with grace and dignity is like a is definitely like a skill tree or whatever um and then b would be um you know thinking about that you know surrounding yourself with people who hold you accountable um and who are going to push you in the direction that you want to go i think is so so important Mm. that's that's awesome um lastly before we wrap up let the listeners know um where they can find you and what you do and if there's any upcoming event um on your end um so yeah so uh well right now um yeah i mean there's not like necessarily like an upcoming event um i have uh some work that's going to be in an online and uh potentially in-person exhibition i don't know we're still like figuring that out um for savannah college of art and designs open studio night um it's at the beginning of November as a part of uh, at the Atlanta Celebrates Photography Festival. Usually I have like my finger in something going on in ACP, um, you know, so shout out to Atlanta Celebrates Photography, um, mm-hmm. shout out to Atlanta Photography Group, um, Donna Garcia, um, shout out to Darnell Wilburn, um, Michael James O'Brien, my whole Atlanta squad. Um, but um, yeah, so, so that's going on. Um, other than that, nothing nothing's really coming up, but you can find my work at uh, parkerrenickerphoto.com um, or you can follow me on Instagram um, in underscore the underscore park underscore. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Parker Renneker, documenting photographer, full-time educator. Um, yeah. Thank you for your time. Above all, I value people time. So I thank you for your time. And thank you. You're the best. Thank you for asking me. And you know, Hopefully we get another, you know, a round two to this and we dive more into the work and, and, and talk more about the approach and, and where it's going. Um, but again, want to thank you and, and let you know I appreciate you and your story and what you're doing now with the work and where it's going. And I'm looking forward to learning more. And, you know, hopefully we get a chance to collaborate at some point. Dude, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. Uh, dumb naked and broke. Till next time.